finally a normal episode because all we crave is normalcy welcome back to the out of the box podcast i'm gray robertson that is tom canterbury tom we're doing a normal show we'll see about that oh do you have something <laughs> planned no we just never know things go off the rails quickly that's true we only have one guest this week so that means four segments of us talking yes what could go wrong we've got so much that we're going to cover we're excited to be back thank you again for following along during our various weird schedule changes from games that were too late canceling spaces to as i'm sitting here right now forgotten spaces i realized that we did not schedule a single thing in knoxville Nothing as happened. originally planned yeah you know sometimes when you're on the team itinerary things adjust yeah yeah it was a crazy weekend schedule wise crazy because of the travel everything else that was going on so happy to be back here with a normal show yes we are we've got a week off until we yes. go to missouri it's great Here's your trip around the bases. We'll start at the plate and talk about the Tennessee series. We might touch on a little bit of Arkansas. It's been a long time since we've done the pod. I, I've I, got I've, a lot I've to no say. Me- I have no memories of the oh, Arkansas really? series. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that Monday, fever dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot to say about the Tennessee series, though. Even though it was a losing effort results-wise, uh, I think that, frankly, the vibes are as good as they've been in a long time. Yeah, it's hard to come out of a series that was a 2-1 loss feeling much better than Alabama is right now. So hopefully uh, it'll be something that the Tide can parlay here in the next few weeks into uh, into a good run. Then we will advance to first, look back at the SEC. Of course, the chaos has returned, Tom. What is going on? I don't know. Gray's third inning of chaos is somehow spread to the entire SEC. I mean, excuse me, Kentucky and Texas A&M? What is happening? I mean, we'll get there. We've also, of course, got FGCL Player of the Week once we get to that point. Then we will steal second with the person that we just saw this past weekend, Madison Shipman. We've got a lot to discuss. We, of course, want her account of the Alabama-Tennessee series and also, you know, other stuff and her family's cooking and doing a dope broadcast. There's a lot to talk about. I know it'll shock you, but uh, plan on talking to Madison about food a lot. It will be potentially, potentially. We got a long way to go. The first guest to ever appear on the Tom's Hungry podium. It's it's definitely in heavy consideration. Yes, it, it's a possibility. Then we will round third. Gray's first bracketology is here. I know what you're saying. It's not April, but April fonts. I don't know. It's not April, but next week is the boxies. So that's already going to be a stuff show. That'll be a shorter bracketology so we're going to go full out for this one and i'm going to kind of give you a, a look at what the landscape of the seating looks like right now again bracketology just seating one through 16. i just hope alabama makes the playoffs That's i think I they want. will okay uh that might come up later on okay we've also got on second thought which we also still have not done great yes they're not that bad this year no no there's something that's just like totally not a possibility of happening. That's right. I mean, it's much better than half for six like we were last year. <laughs> Point 0.5 for oh, six. Boy. Yes. Then finally, we'll head home. We've got picks, not just the SEC series, but some major ones on the national landscape. Off the wall, of course, and then Tom's Hungry is back after a successful food trip in Knoxville, Tennessee. It Mostly successful. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the whole thing. I uh, should tell my story then, yeah, shouldn't I? That'll come up. 
oh man, viewer discretion or listener discretion is advised. However, they say it. That'll be fun. We won't get too graphic. That's when we head home. <laughs> We're starting at the plate. Yes. As we always do. Mm-hmm. Let's look back at the Tennessee series. But of course, before we do that, make sure you follow us at out of the box underscore pod on the Twitter. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee wins the series 2-1. Game one, the Lady Vols take it 5-1. Game two, Alabama wins 4-2. Game three goes off the rails and Tennessee wins 7-5. Let's start with the good, as we always do, because we're optimistic, happy people, and we don't like to fill the world with nastiness. We like to fill it with joy. Alex Salter, a frankly career day against Tennessee, and potentially, if she can continue to build a career-defining game for her, getting the complete game victory against Tennessee in game two, just gave up five hits, worked through the Lady Vols from the middle to the end of the game, and you know, we've joked for years about, hey, you know, if you get this many people out in a row, you're not going to have to face this hitter. Most of the time, it doesn't work out like that. Right. Alex Salter did that. Kiki Malloy did not step up to the plate in the seventh inning. And it was one of the more impressive performances I have seen in the circle for Alabama in years. It was, yeah, it was really amazing to watch considering the fact Alabama took the one nothing lead in the first inning and then Tennessee scores two right back in the bottom of the first and you're thinking, well, oh no, here we go again. But then Salter just just mows people down after that, just totally locked in, got into a little bit of a jam in the fourth inning. The first two runners got on base in the fourth inning. And then Alex Salter set down the next 12 Lady Vols Crazy. to finish off that ball game and give Alabama the 4-2 victory. Um, I was so impressed with what she was able to do to keep an offense that good off balance and to do it, you know, three, almost four times through the order, it was just really, really remarkable. It gave you uh, so much more confidence uh, in the quote unquote non-Montana games for Alex Salter to be maybe the starter. And then, you know, there's still the possibility that you you throw in Torrance and, and Esmond in there as well. But I thought it was a great job. Hopefully the fact that she came in in game three and, and didn't do as well won't, won't have any effect. That was just, again, part of just a crazy game. Uh, so hopefully you just kind of I don't even know way. how warm she was right I mean, yeah. we have no idea yeah because you're definitely not thinking I'm gonna have to go in for Montana fouls here in the third inning you I think you can just throw that away but a heck of a heck of a job by her and it gives you so much more confidence moving forward I was so impressed by her ability to mix speeds the use of the change up uh, you know we saw and we'll get to Montana in just a moment Tennessee hit the hard stuff really well and Alex Salter being able to keep them off balance, I think is what could be the blueprint for teams to beat Tennessee going forward. We'll talk about that a little bit later we're on. He, we're here to help, Greg. Yeah, That's I mean, we're, look, we're just trying to find a way to win the SEC yeah. somehow. Also, a lot of credit, and I've said this in multiple areas, including in postgame, goes to Patrick Murphy for keeping Alex Salter in the game. Would have been real easy after the fourth when I verbaled basically I think this is Salter's last inning to pull her but there was no real reason to other than "Eh, I don't want her to face this offense a third time through he stuck with her and it worked and I think that belief in her almost more than the performance itself is what is going to give her confidence going forward two-edged sword on that is that you you know not only does she get the confidence, then now Patrick Murphy has the confidence to right. be able to, you know, you don't have to make the quick uh, quick hook. You still will play some matchups with who will start the second game of a series. 
Uh, so I don't think it's always necessarily going to be Alex Alter. It's harder for a uh, offense to adjust to faster speeds than it is slower speeds. So if you if you are going to go with the by committee approach, it makes sense for Salter to be the first one out there. Right. It would it would by that logic be either Salter or Essman. Right. Since they're both low sixties, and I, I think also maybe that means we see longer stints and starts for Lauren and Jayla. Well, so, I mean I don't know. This could have changed a lot this weekend. This performance by Alex Salter. We also saw Jayla Torrance in relief in game three come in and do really well. Two and two thirds, walked a couple, but no hits, really not that many hard shots. And I think, again, if she's able to pitch like that, if you can get her, you know, two times through the order to be able to do what she did against Tennessee, essentially one time through, then you're in good shape there as well. Yeah, I thought it was very similar to Alex Salter's relief appearance in the first game against Texas in Austin. You know, Jayla Torrance came in and stopped the bleeding. She was able to keep Alabama in the game to give the offense an opportunity, and the offense started coming through later in that game in game three. But it was I thought it was a really um, gutsy and, and a pretty ice in her veins type performance by Jayla Torrance to be able to come in and give Alabama the offensive opportunity to try to come back in that game. I thought it was really impressive. And Lauren Essman's probably going to get her shot at some point as well in that kind of situation, because if Patrick Murphy knows one thing, it's that you're going to need everybody once you get to the postseason. That includes all four pitchers. So I would assume that at some point in the near future, we're going to see Lauren thrown into the fire, just like Salty and Jayla have been of late. Yeah, and especially if there is uh, a team that you're facing an offense that has shown themselves to be vulnerable to lefties yeah be the perfect spot yeah bailey dowling she is locked in right now she had the home run off ashley rogers it was just a two for ten series which doesn't feel reflective of how well she hit the ball and has been hitting the ball of late she was the star of the arkansas series she was two for two against uab she is playing right now as well as I've ever seen in her career. She's swinging with confidence. There is poise. She's not chasing. She's going after the right pitches. She's got a plan and she's displaying a ton of leadership. And I am impressed. I am super proud of Bailey and I can't wait to tell that to her face, hopefully on Wednesday when we go to media availability. I have been just blown away by Bailey Dowling these last few weeks. Yeah, she's been, like you say, just as locked in as I've seen her and I think as important as what she's done uh, at the plate has been, you know, that leadership that you're talking about that she has, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a rocky season. Now there's, there's pretty much, there's no two ways about that. There's been a lot of ups and there's been a lot of downs and for a player, a veteran player like Dowling to, you know, just kind of take the reins as the leader of this team and show that leadership both on and off the field. I think it's been very, very impressive and needed. Callie Hevlin of a two spot. Did you ever think that would be a sentence we would say on this podcast? No, probably not. And it's not, she's not going to be someone that's going to, you know, have many four for four type games, but she's going to have uh, some probably two for three type games and do a lot of good moving runners and, and things of that nature. And oh man, I, I still just keep thinking back that home run, that grand slam. It's the biggest what if of the weekend. Oh, because it's going to be six, nothing Alabama. If that stays fair. Game's over. And the game is probably over. Yeah. Uh, then you're you know you're talking about Alabama maybe going towards the run rule and not you know almost ended up being the other way around in that game three. Uh, but that she has, is that type of threat at the top of the order, um, I think it has really added something to this offense. And we talked about it. You're you're trying to find. 
the right combination, put the puzzle pieces in the right spot to really let this offense gel and, and you know, perform to their best ability because uh, we know they have so much of it. Uh, there's so much talent. You just got to find out the exact way to do it. And unbelievably, putting Callie Hevlin in the two-hole might might have been, you know, the keystone spot. And this is something that I think can work even better if we see Kenley Kahalen start to reach base a little bit more like we did in the non-conference, because then you have the full complement of all that Callie Hevlin has to offer. Right. And then you have, again, the, the puzzle pieces moving Kevlin up to the two spot, lets you move Emma Broadfoot up to either the five or the six. Right. And she did have the best batting average this weekend. Right. So, you know, it, it helps everyone when you get that one spot where it needs to be. Which brings me to the offense just way better. And I was, we're going to get to off the wall later. I was baffled by some of the complaints on Sunday about the offense. I was spectacularly impressed. Uh, listen to what Caleb Rose said on the D1 softball podcast that we recorded last night. Uh, I'm sure Madison Chipman will have some things to say about it as well later on. The preparedness, I thought, was was as good as it's been this year, but there was also a confidence that came from the players in that plan, and then the execution followed. We saw a team that was swinging, like they believed in what they were swinging at and what they were chasing and what they were going after and what pitch they were looking for, and I was really impressed. And the fact that the offensive numbers weren't overall even better than they were and they were still pretty good was just because of how good Tennessee's pitching staff is but we have to put in perspective what this offense did to Carlin Pickens and to Ashley Rogers and to Peyton Gottschall for that matter even in a short couple innings Carlin Pickens hadn't given up a home run all year she did this weekend yeah she had only given up two hits in two SEC starts she gave up eight eight Mm-hmm. And four runs all earned. Alabama earned those runs. Ashley Rogers, how about her? Two home runs allowed all year. Alabama hit three this past weekend. I guarantee you Ashley Rogers has not been hit as hard as she was in that, I guess it was the fourth inning, right? When Alabama right. had all the home runs. Yeah. Probably hadn't been hit that hard since regionals in 21. I mean, it was it was impressive what Alabama did offensively. And unfortunately, there were some other things that failed them in that Sunday game. But I thought overall the offense showed improvements in a way that make me really confident in what they can do the rest of this year. Yeah, the those comments, it's just offense was not the reason why Alabama lost that series. Right. Uh the offense was really good. You know, the game one, you tip your cap to Ashley Rogers. She did she did what she does. Alabama was, you know, was had a good approach to the plate, just she she was a little bit better that day. Yeah which I think made what they what Alabama was able to do against her on Sunday maybe even more impressive because it showed the adjustments that they were able to make against that pitcher the second time. Pickens had not locked, looked that vulnerable all year. Alabama did a great job against her. Uh, and then Gutschall didn't, you know, got, got chased. Uh, and if, you know, not only the, the grand slam that goes just a foot foul, uh, but also the moment that, Karen Weekly decided to go ahead and put in Ashley Rogers may have won that game for Tennessee. Cause yeah. if Gottschall's in there for, for just a couple more batters, uh, Alabama still, even with that grand slam going foul, might've been able to put it away in that first inning or second inning, whenever that was. No, hey, you're fine. It, yeah. it was a long day. <laughs> oh my God. Somehow the game was only two hours and 28 minutes. I saw that as you were reading it on yeah. the air and I was like, this is a lie. Did they, we've st- been here for eight hours. Did they stop the clock during the, uh, <laughs> during the chase of the rule book? Maybe. Also I mean, the, the question I have, okay. and I had it before, but 
they were talking to Birmingham right with the with the uh, instant replay. So I, I heard from our friend Karen Johns what the situation was. Okay. If the game is under protest, you do have to physically have the rule book with you. Gotcha. Now okay. that doesn't answer the question as to why the rule book was in some coat closet in the soccer stadium. I don't know about right. that. Um, maybe that is where the referee's locker room is. I don't know why we can't have a cubby or something over right. at the stadium, but either way, that, that was the situation. Gotcha. You have to have the physical yes. rule book there. Okay. You do have to have, I would think you would just bring that with you and that's have what it, I would think. you know, have it back in, pocket. In, something. Yeah. yeah. But okay. That's by far not the worst thing. The umpires did this weekend. Mm. All right, from the good to the bad, defensive inconsistencies. Now, Saturday, the defense was as good as it's been all year. It was going so well. It was great. And then Sunday, there were just a couple teeny mistakes, not actual errors, but just miscues. Then there was a big error uh, from Callie Heaven on what should have been a double play ball that unfortunately led to runners on the corners with nobody out for Kiki Malloy, which is the worst possible scenario. Yeah, that's in any way shape or form which has been the issues with the errors this year yeah is that they either come in bunches or they come at the absolute worst possible time when you have you go from a double play to nobody out and runners on the corners for the best hitter in softball not good uh and that's and that it was so frustrating because and again i'm not i haven't really been able to see i know the error was charged to cali if uh, Kenley got lost in the sun. The sun was brutal on Sunday. Uh, I know, it, but she just just missed it, and it's really frustrating because it, it was a tailor-made double play, yeah. um, which would have you know obviously changed that inning. And that was really kind of the first mistake that the infield made all weekend. They've been so good, and yeah. you know when we talk about these defensive inconsistencies, the problem is there's not really something that you can pinpoint to as a fix. It's just, you just have to make those plays because the defense isn't changing. I, I've i seen a lot of people saying, well, what about Bailey Dowling? I think Bailey is locked in right now at that DP role. And I think Callie has shown for the majority of the year that she deserves to be in the field. Right. You know, that was, it was a big error, but it was just her fourth this season. That's pretty low on the spectrum of, shortstop and second baseman errors that you'll see in college softball. So it's not going to change. It just has to be better. Right. And Kenley Cahalen is going to be a starter at shortstop uh, for the next four seasons. So just deal with the growing pains there. We joke about being 17, but she is 17. Right. And makes, and she made one of the most smoothest plays that maybe we've seen all year at, at shortstop this this weekend. So, you know, you'll take an error or two every once in a while as far as that goes, because the, the return on investment is so high. Um, just like I said, the, the errors have just come at the worst possible times. One more bad thing, and I think in the history of this podcast, this bullet point has never existed under the bad, but it was Montana Fouts. And Montana wasn't good this past weekend. I think if we had her in this room right now, she would agree. She would probably use stronger language to describe her play. And, uh, you know, to Tennessee's credit, they were ready for her. I, I think watching back some of the film and thinking back about the game, Tennessee probably is is better against those high 70 pitchers or low 70 pitchers, high 60 pitchers, because even after quick first innings for Tana and both of the starts, they were they had the timing in the second. And then the third was kind of when they started to get hits and started to to really find the gaps and hit balls out of the yard. Do I think that this is a thing? Not really. There are a few offenses, if any, in the SEC that are as good as Tennessee's. And 
I think if I know Montana Fouts at all, which I feel like we do at this point, she's going to come out with a vengeance the next time we see her in the circle. Yeah, and you know, when you're, you know, a fifth year, that means everyone has seen you multiple times. That means everybody has every possible um, tape, every type of video, all the film that they want on you. When you are that type of pitcher, you have to be incredibly sharp. You have to hit your hit all your spots. If they have your timing down, but you hit your spots, you can still get people out. And Montana just wasn't hitting her spots. She wasn't she wasn't god awful. Right. She was just a little bit off. But that's that's enough for a, t- a team in the offense caliber of Tennessee to take advantage. Yeah, and again, you know, do I think that that's an issue going forward? I don't. You know, yeah. knowing Montana, knowing Lance McMahon, knowing just how she works and how she plays there have been you know in past years little blips typically they don't come well no one's perfect right Right. i mean nobody's perfect but then we've seen after those blips oh my gosh run and hide like hide the children yeah montana is here so i don't think it's it's a long-term issue but we'll ask madison shipman later and get her opinion just my opinion i'm i'm not concerned just a weird weekend for town yeah because i mean you look at you know the two off or the maybe the three offenses that have really hit her with any type of uh, consistency this year were ucla Mm -hmm. which you know they're they're good yeah (laughs) texas they're really good Mm -hmm. and now tennessee they're really good we saw the second time out against texas montana you know win 11 innings and won the ball game didn't have a second second opportunity against ucla uh so this is really the first time we've seen her struggle the second time facing the same team but it, it, i think a lot of it is just you you tip your cap to what texas uh, excuse me what tennessee was able to do totally yeah so well, there you go right we'll, we'll be able again if if the same thing happens next weekend against missouri an offense that obviously isn't anywhere near t- tennessee then we'll have a different discussion. Yeah, but until then, hmm. Tana gonna Tana. I, I believe in the people's queen and she has my vote. Indeed. Yes. Coronate and whatnot. I don't know. <laughs> I'm from America. We don't, I'm not familiar with His, these customs. History began in 1776. Thank you, Ron. On the road again. Oh boy, Tom, let's get mm. back in that Tuscaloosa Ford rental car. I'm driving this time, yes. and we're going to Columbia, Missouri. It'll be your phone with the with the Yeet. navigation and podcast rolling. There will be no flights to Houston either afterwards, unfortunately. <laughs> I am mm. not jumping on the FAU bandwagon that uh, hard. <laughs> tickets will probably be readily available, though. Well... A little bit more than we thought. We'll see. I, my poor father. If you father, really wanted to. Oh, I'm yeah. good. I, <laughs> Friday, uh, we're at Missouri, 6 o'clock Central Time. Saturday at Missouri, 5 o'clock Central Time. Sunday at Missouri, 1 o'clock Central Time. There is a little bit of rain concern on Friday. I haven't seen far enough in the forecast to see whether that's Friday morning storms that have no impact on the game or whatever the situation is. I do know it's going to be a little bit colder on Saturday and Sunday. Not right. necessarily cold, but chilly. Right. Yeah. You know, 50s and whatnot. And, you know, this is a Missouri team that we're going to talk about in just a bit, that is in the exact opposite position that they were in last year. Coming to Tuscaloosa, Missouri was the hottest team in the league. Right now, they might be the coldest. And I think that this is a great chance for Alabama to build off of what they did in Knoxville. If you're looking at records and stats, this is, I think, the perfect opponent following what you did in Knoxville, but it's all about putting together the clean game and not getting two in their heads and just playing free and playing with the energy that we saw specifically on Saturday. 
Yeah, I hope that this week, you know, the fact that you don't have a midweek game, you're able to kind of have a, a full uh, normal week of practice. You have some good rest time as well in between uh, two road series uh, will work to Alabama's favor. And then also, as we mentioned in the post game of game three at Tennessee, you know, you look at how the schedule is now laid out for the Crimson Tide in the conference, really, you know, front loaded. Yeah, you, know, you might have been played. You might have already played your two toughest series of the year with Arkansas and Tennessee starting things off. So I think Alabama now, not that you can, you know, take a take a deep breath and and just kind of roll the helmets out there. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to play well. Uh, but you have a good opportunity to shore up anything that needs to be shorn up, and then still have an opportunity to win and win at a high clip. Looking at the lineups, I feel like the top five should remain the same. And with Bailey Dowling swinging it like she is, I like her in the three spot with Ship and Prangy at four and five. After that, Broadfoot, Johnson, you might still have a little bit of outfield roulette with Hensley, Pruitt, and White all kind of doing good things and also some not good things in the last few weeks. How will that order go? I'm not quite sure, but we'll find out when we get there. Right, yeah, the, the outfield is still the, the main thing, the main concern. And because I think even at first base, Emma Broadfoot hitting the way that she is right now takes out maybe even the consideration of Lauren Esman getting more starts at first base. I still think we're going to see her pitch, like you say. But um, yeah, the outfield is still a little a little bit up in the air. Uh, Jenna Johnson, her batting average isn't where she wants it to be. You would like for her to have a little bit higher that way, get a few more hits. But you know, you look when you're making a Sports Center top ten catch every other game. Uh, hard to take her out there in left field, so you got to. I, I think it would it would help Alabama if they were able to fully solidify it. You're still playing some matchups at at times as well, but no one has really completely stepped forward to just grab spots and make it impossible for Patrick Murphy to take them out of the lineup yet. So right. hopefully that can get done here in this next week. Right. So basically, ask us in post game. Right. All weekend long. Which which is where we do our best predicting of what's going to happen is after it happens. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, time to put it in play. Who are we? Like I said, I think Emma Broadfoot. Okay, let's be Emma Broadfoot. And actually, it works out. We've cranked one. It is demolished. But because Kiki Malloy is so damn good, we've been held to a single. <laughs> I've never seen what missed a home run by a foot only be a single. And... 100% because of what the outfielder did. Oh, yeah. And and there was, like, no chance. Not right. even, like, a halfway to second retreat. No. no, it was, like, round first. Oh, I have to stop. Right. Whoops. Yes, this is a double and or home run any other time. <laughs> but I'll stand here at first. Oh, boy. We're Emma Broadfoot, and we've put it in play. When we return, we'll advance to first and look at the SEC. Ole Miss? LSU? Kentucky? I don't know. We'll talk about it. Canterbury, just chilling in Cedar Rapids. How are you, Tom? <laughs> I'm glad you got that in. Thank you. Yes. We're advancing to first, and of course, we always like to spend this segment talking about the SEC, and we're going to start with Ole Miss losing the series 2-1 to LSU, but kind of feels like LSU let one slip, a 5-1 loss to the Rebels in Game 1. Sidney Brazan your SEC Freshman of the Week, incredible. One game, two. Credit Beth Torina. It would have been real easy to throw Allie Coponen back out there for game three, but she stuck with Berzon, saw something that made her like that matchup, and it worked. 
Berzon won game three as well. We saw Taylor Pleasance come back this weekend and get a little bit of action. Didn't have a hit, but you know was in the lineup and got a few at-bats. I think, honestly, Tom, my biggest takeaway from this weekend, I don't know if I can pick LSU to sweep anybody. I don't know if I can trust them to do that. I don't know if I learned anything about Ole Miss either because a lot of the runs that they scratched across were stuff they manufactured, not necessarily because they were on Alec Kilponen. You know, but it's hard to go on the road and sweep somebody. You know, no matter who, no matter who it is in the conference. As I predicted, I was not expecting an LSU sweep. I was expecting an LSU two-one victory. Uh, but you know, Ole Miss—that that's what they showed. They have that capability to be able to manufacture and, and to score runs uh, against uh, a, a pitcher who is the ace of a staff. Just show that they're not going to be able to do that consistently. Right, and Ole Miss pitching was pretty good. LSU's offense has kind of hit a bit of a funk of late. I mean, as they are wont to do. Yeah, six runs total in the weekend. You know, that's not as good as it probably should be. After you know you you had the tough weekend before, but that was because you were facing the Tennessee pitching staff. Right. So best in the world. Something to watch yes. maybe going mm-hmm. forward. Okay, A and M Kentucky. The, the the pitching staffs neither one the best this weekend in that series. Here are the scores. You ready, people? Game one, Texas A and M wins fourteen to thirteen. 27 combined runs, 27 combined hits, seven combined pitchers used. I hated to see that missed extra point come back to hot Kentucky like it did. I can't believe they didn't go for two after the second (laughs) touchdown. How do you not recognize that? Mm. Uh, Game two, this was a doubleheader. Which was right after the 14-13 extra inning game. Texas A&M wins 10-0 in five. So we all come back the next day. And Kentucky run rules A&M, 10 to 2, eight first inning runs, contributing to now the amazing 33 runs that the Fighting Texas Aggies have allowed in the first inning this year. Hard to uh, saw varsity's horns off if you give up that many runs in the first. I mean, that's like normally what teams are scoring in the first that overall right. for a year. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's rough. So what do we make of it? I mean, it's hard. it's hard really to... Like, is this what these teams are, or was it just a drunken weekend? Like, I picked Texas A&M to win this series. I didn't think it would go down like this. No. I don't think anybody did. The only thing that does change a little bit, the thought that Kentucky had it all figured out. Yeah. Uh, or that we had Kentucky figured out. Uh, because, you know, you really thought Schoonover had you know, had emerged. She was going to be the ace. They were going to be a little bit more traditional as far as that goes. Uh, but... She, she did not have a good weekend, obviously, uh, against an A&M offense, which is good, but not putting up, what is it, uh, 26 runs in three games good, usually. So yeah, I, I think the one thing that does come out of it is uh, Kentucky a little bit back to the drawing board and their enigmaness. Yeah, I think we're still trying to figure out Kentucky. Schoonover much better in game three, but man, game one did not set the right tone for that doubleheader. And if you make those mistakes against Georgia, who they've got this upcoming weekend, you could be in for a similarly high-scoring battle. Right. Which, I mean, if that ends up being their identity, uh, you can be somewhat successful that way in winning Slugfest, but it's hard to win at an elite level when that happens. Right. Speaking of Georgia, they swept Mississippi mm. State. Game three a wash, which sucks because now math matters. Uh, Why didn't we just play that? Third game right after the second game, do a doubleheader. I don't know what. Were we not? Was this a uh, a rogue freak 
thunderstorm we didn't know was going to happen. I definitely nobody saw it coming, I guess. I don't know. But Georgia didn't allow a run all weekend, which is really good for their pitching staff. Shelby Walters, a no-hitter in the 10 nothing run rule in Game 2. My opinion doesn't really change about either team here either. I think Mississippi State, you know, they fought in Game 1. Georgia just a little bit better than overwhelmed were the Georgia or Mississippi State Bulldogs in game two by the Georgia Bulldogs. I I still feel that Mississippi State is a good team who can surprise people at times, but not consistently. And that Georgia is a pretty good offense, but you know, I don't think their pitching staff was super tested this weekend. No, but I mean, it does give me a little bit more confidence in what their, what their pitching staff is able to do. Uh, throwing a no-hitter is difficult, you know, regardless of the opponent, an SEC opponent in particular. Um, so I, I think you can come away a little bit more confident in what the pitching staff can do for Georgia, which has been the which has been the issue, which has been the question mark. I don't think you say it's all everything's figured out because it is Mississippi State, but at the same time that they have definitely stuff to build on here moving forward in a what is going to be a possibly a crazy series against Kentucky. Yeah. they almost always are. I mean, remember a couple of years ago when they were playing and Monday and I mean, it was, or I think that was a Sunday night game where you were watching WrestleMania. And I think for oh, the yeah. first time I was able to get your eyes away from WrestleMania to watch the end of Georgia, Kentucky, which was off the rails. Bad Bunny was wrestling. And I was like, Tom, Georgia was down eight, one and they're winning. <laughs> and it was like two innings ago. It was crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of a down 8-1, sloppy segue, but kind of relevant. Yeah. I mean, what's up with Florida? I'm just going to ask. I I don't know. It's a question that someone smarter than me needs to answer, so I think you should ask Madison Shipman. Okay, we'll do that later. Okay. However, here's what happened in Fayetteville. Arkansas wins game one over Florida, 6-2. Game two, Florida wins 11-4. Use a big, I think it was the sixth inning to really – blow that one open it was 5-4 at the time mm-hmm. game three arkansas wins 14 to 1 and 5. game three is not supposed to be if you're a struggling pitching staff the one where you get blown out typically that would be game two right. and it adds to the blowout list for the gators they have been run ruled by ucla and no hit to nothing in five oregon tacked on three runs in the seventh to make it a run rule s score eight nothing at the Mary Nutter, and now Arkansas beating the Gators 14-1. to Perception-wise, those scores are really, really bad. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the main differences between, say, Florida and Alabama this year, who has had some, some losses and some up and downs, but Alabama has avoided being shut out, has avoided being blown out in all the losses. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument, and I think probably margin-wise, game one of Tennessee was the biggest quote-unquote blowout loss of Alabama's season. Yeah, uh, So, and Alabama's had an opportunity to win every game they've lost except for that Tennessee game, probably. But that is when you have the perception and the differences, that's the difference because you look at Florida, the fact that they've been blown out by some of the better teams that they've faced – you know, do they fold the tents when things start going poorly in a game? Um, they just get overwhelmed and, and things get away from them. What is it that's happening why Florida isn't able to at least stay close in some of these losses? Tenth in team ERA this year, the Florida Gators. I can't remember the last time they were that low. Yeah. And it's it's about to hit three. It's not that far off. 
So that is surprising. And for Arkansas on the flip side, really big for them to continue the momentum after the win in Tuscaloosa against Florida. We highlighted these two series as, all right, Arkansas, we're about to find out. And they beat Alabama and Florida and got out of it four and two. It's pretty good. Yeah. If you're Courtney Dyfel, you are ecstatic on where you are right now as far as the conference race goes, as far as, you know, everything goes for you. You've, you've put yourself in a really good position with a very, very young team to uh, be able to continue what you've been doing. Crazy. First three weekends of the year, Texas A&M, Alabama, Florida. Arkansas lost one of those series. Which do you think it was? Right. I Texas mean, A&M. Unbelievable. Okay. One more to get to. <laughs> Auburn sweeps Missouri 4 nothing, and then two 2-1 walk-offs, including one on mic'd up Monday, which I'm sure got some good audio from our friend Mickey Dean. Matty Pinson was really good. They just needed to win games, and they did that. And that's exactly what Mickey Dean wanted. You know, it wasn't pretty. The offense wasn't super spectacular, but the pitching was really good and they got a sweep, which is always hard. Yeah. And I think if you're Auburn, you think you probably got away from that series plus one. You know, if you're uh, handicapping it beforehand, you think if we get out of here 2 1, we're in good shape. But to get a sweep, uh, if you're a team the caliber of Auburn, uh, I think that really kind of keeps you in the uh, the upper echelon of the conference when maybe the talent doesn't really put you there but your record does and that's all that matters all right fgcl player of the week are you ready yes we've got eight nominees this week sorry to leslie gender you're gonna see why in a minute though this is the first time ever every nominee had two bullet points because of something that they accomplished in a game okay so here we go without further ado your fgcl player of the week nominees Abby Hughes, Georgia Tech, four for 11, five RBIs, a homer, two doubles, three strikeouts, and two runs scored in the midweek game against a good Troy team, drove in five of the six runs scored, and scored the other one. So Abby Hughes literally beating Troy by herself. (laughs) Neely Peterson, FGCU, two for nine, an RBI, two doubles, a walk, two strikeouts, but had the lone RBI in the one nothing win versus Liberty in game one, which is an impactful score. FGCU swept the double header against Liberty on that day. Mm, poor, so, poor Liberty Bibbity. Mm, big for the A-Sun. Macy McCall, Winthrop, five for 12, two RBIs, a walk, a strikeout, and two runs scored. In game three against Radford, drove in both runs in separate innings in a 2-1 win, including the walk-off. So again, direct mm. hand. Yes. Saxon Radcliffe, Murray State, two for 11, two RBIs, a double, two walks, and a strikeout. But in the midweek versus Belmont, had a walk-off double in the ninth to win it 3-2. Morgan Scott, last week's winner, is back. 12 and a third innings, 10 hits, four runs, all earned, two walks, and five Ks. Game one against UCLA, Tom, a two-hit shutout. It's not easy to do. No, not at all. Oh boy, we're still going. Grace Lorsung, Kentucky, four for seven, nine RBIs, two homers, a triple, three walks, and three runs scored. In game one versus Texas A&M, as we referenced that 14-13 game, Grace Lorsung had seven RBIs in one game. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. (sighs) Alex Salter, Alabama, 12 and two-thirds innings, nine hits, four runs, three earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. Had the complete game victory at number three, Tennessee, in game two of that series. 
not only her first career SEC play win, also her first win against a ranked foe. And that also includes the UAB game. Yes, it does. Everything from the week. Which was a pitch away from being a perfect game. So, yeah, that could have, she could have won the week had that hit not gone through. And maybe she will. I don't know. We'll see. One more. Victoria Ortiz, South Alabama, five for 12, eight RBIs, a homer, two doubles, two walks, two strikeouts, five runs scored, and in game one against Texas State, had the two-run home run in the seventh in that 2-1 victory for the Jags. Wow. Is this not the most stacked, you made a direct impact week we've ever seen? It's pretty ridiculous. And on a side note, has Texas State won a game since Austin? They won one this weekend. Okay. They beat South Alabama in one of those games. But my gosh. It's not been great. What has happened to the Bobcats? Not great, Bob. And Morgan Scott's our defending player of the week. True. So I feel as though we should spread the love around just a little bit. Okay. I'm going to go with Grace Lorsung from Kentucky and Alex Alter from Alabama. Wow. Okay. This is really hard. I'll be honest. I think Alex Alter gets this. If not for those two thirds of an inning in game three, statistically, you know, that kind of messed up the weekly numbers. Seven RBIs in one game is pretty unassailable. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to Grace Lorsung from Kentucky, but this was very close. Yes, very much so. And congrats to everybody. Like, way to go, FGCLers. What a a weekend. It's almost as though playing in the FGCL or summer league is helpful to your softball career. I was told that I, none of these people did anything ever mm. in their lives. Yeah. I don't know. Next week, we're going to have a, a midseason FGCL player of the year. And let me tell you, a lot of nominees yes. will be in the running for that, Tom. Okay. It's time to steal second. Do you see it over there, Tom? We have the sign. Yes. Okay. I'm ready to run. Head that way. Let's do it. As though we're Caleb Rowe. Yes. That would be a great segue if we were talking to Caleb Rowe. But oh. no! We're chatting with her bestie. With her partner. Yes. Madison Shipman will be joining us from ESPN from the Seven Innings Podcast. That's when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We are so pleased to be doing an actual normal show once again. We just asked for normalcy. That's it. Every once in just a, while. a normal game every yes. now and then. We definitely didn't see those no. in Knoxville. <laughs> Good gracious. No, that's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We're stealing second here on the show with our friend Madison Shipman from ESPN, the Seven Innings Podcast, the All-American from Tennessee. I'm sure you saw her, Alabama and Tennessee fans, this past weekend broadcasting during the throwback throwdown with Kayla Bro and also Eric Freed, who was in attendance. And Madison, we're so happy to have you back on the show. No trivia, I promise, just <laughs> softball. I am horrible at trivia, so thank you for sparing me from another round of that. Although I think Tom and I scored the same. We did, one hundred percent. Yes, yeah. we tied for last and we second. Tied, we tied so. for last. Out of three of us. <laughs> right. Yes. So you can all do the math. <laughs> okay, we, we've got softball stuff to cover, but first, how did your family learn to cook like they did <laughs> when we went to dinner at the Shipman household? Every member of the family contributed something, including the 16-year-old who made bread. Your banana pudding was excellent. Are you going to open a restaurant? What's what's next? 
Definitely not opening a restaurant. It's funny because outside of softball season, I, I I do feel like we're constantly cooking for each other. We have a pretty big family, which I know that you guys uh, notice, but we've got everybody close by. So we're always just cooking or baking or whatever, just to make sure that the rest of the family like comes over to our house. We basically just bribe each other with food, say, hey, I'm going to make you this if you want to come and hang out with me. But no, it's honestly some uh, something that all of us have a passion for. Now, some of us are gifted uh, a little bit more than others. My brother is one of those that just can put food together, so doesn't even have to look at a recipe. I, on the other hand, have to go step by step and still hope that things turn out the way that they should. Uh, my nephew was the uh, Jackson is the 16 year old that he has a, a thing for making homemade sourdough bread. So all of us have our own little uh, baking or cooking thing. My husband likes to smoke meat. That's his that's his uh, hobby that he likes to do in his spare time. So we're just always always cooking something. I feel as though we should have an investors meeting for the Shipman restaurant, yes. which should be coming up very soon because that was amazing. What? What brought the, was it just you playing softball at Tennessee? What brought everybody in your family to Knoxville from California? Yeah, you know, it was actually like me playing softball. And so I was the first one to come out here. And my parents had visited, of course, to watch me play a few times. Um, but then it wasn't until, I'm trying to think what year it was. A couple of years after I graduated was when they actually bought a house out here in Knoxville. And when you come out to Knoxville, it is not a hard sell. So everybody was all in on it. Uh, my brother actually ended up getting a job internship down in Atlanta and now still has the job there um, down in Atlanta. So he's in the same time zone, not quite in Knoxville. Um, and then my older sister and her family moved here from Houston. Her husband got a job opportunity to move from Houston to Knoxville. It just worked out. So everything has aligned to where we are all in Knoxville or we're all in the same time zone now, except for Allie. Allie's back in the central time zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or as we call it, God's time zone. It's, it's, everything's everything's right at the right time. Everything's so late in the eastern time zone. Everything starts so late. I thought that too. I mean, when uh, we were leaving the Shipman house just as the Tennessee basketball game was starting, <laughs> we're like, what is going on? There are some late starts. You got to get used to that. <laughs> I, I have even more questions about this, but we're going to have to move on. I want to know how your husband's hobby uh, delivered some of the best brisket I've ever eaten in my life, but it, we'll save that for next time. I want to talk about the throwback throwdown. You and bro, y'all become such good friends over the years. We've had you on this podcast together. How much fun was it to do that kind of broadcast with her representing your school, but also to kind of get to do a Homer broadcast? That's not really something we get to do very much on the TV side. No, I know it was so much fun. And honestly, the idea that Kayla and I have been so excited ever since we got the okay uh, back at the beginning of the year, we have just been circling that day on our calendar. And we that was actually the first time that Kayla and I have been in the booth calling a game together. Of course, we've done a lot of studio stuff together, but haven't been able to be in the booth and calling the game. And so for us to be able to have a lot of the conversations that we have on a day-to-day -day basis, but to be able to have those on air, that was something that was really cool from an analyst side to be able to bring that side of the thing or side of our thought process to the game, but then also to be able to look back at some of the memories of us playing against each other, because honestly, that's not something we talk about a ton day to day, just about like going back in time a decade ago when we were playing against each other. So talking about those uh, memories brought up a lot of feelings and uh, I started remembering a lot of things as we were having those types of conversations. So it was really cool to kind of be a homer, I guess, if you want to call it that for for one day. Uh, I never all my years of being at the Tennessee softball stadium at Sherry Parker Lee, I had never actually been all the way up top. 
So that was the first time that I had ever been up top. It was very windy. Uh, my notes did make their way down towards the right field line. And I'm sure some of them are in the river still currently because I'm a dinosaur and still handwrite all of my notes. Uh, but if you didn't watch, it was super, super windy. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was just so much fun. I, I, I could not have asked for a better game on the field, uh, better people to do the game with. Just everything about it was awesome. Was there any one thing that kind of jumped out at you as your favorite part of the broadcast? You know, <laughs> so it's actually the, the first thing that comes to mind is something that we did before the game even started. And Kayla and I went and played catch down on the field. And that's the first time that I had thrown a ball since 2017. So uh, my arm was a little bit sore the next day, but just being able to play catch with Kayla was so much fun. Um, I love playing catch. Defense was my favorite thing to do when, when I was playing. And so just to be able to go out there and, and throw a little bit, um, it's amazing how quickly it's like riding a bike. All of a sudden I was remember, oh, I, I can do this still. <laughs> Got to make sure I prove to my kids that I can still uh, throw a little bit. I know that there's lots of footage. We know that certainly from this weekend that we can prove that Madison Shipman was indeed really good at softball. Indeed. I do want to ask though, there was a potential for a this awkward moment situation with Allie playing on Alabama, you representing the Tennessee side. There was one time I think Allie came up with the bases loaded and I said on the radio, uh-oh, Madison is about to be in an interesting situation. Did you consider what your analysis would have been if Allie had hit the game-winning RBI or something of that nature? You know, it's so funny. I think because I've called so many of my sister's games that I snap immediately back into that analyst role. Like, I'm really quick at shutting off, you know, sister Maddie and going into analyst Maddie. Um, the, the most awkward part is referring to her as her full name as Allie Shipman, where usually it's just Allie. Um, so that's the part that I think uh, is a, a little bit still sounds weird coming out of my mouth. But the rest of it, if you asked Allie, she probably says that I'm harder on her than I am anybody else. So uh, I made a joke on air the other day that she swings early in the count just so that I can't get a word in during her at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm going to use that, too, for Absolutely. me as well. Sense, yeah. Her senior day, we were like, OK, let's get to this list. Oh, and Allie's on base. And <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to swing early. You can take all that prep and just throw it away because <laughs> uh, as far as what happened on the field this weekend with between Twin Tennessee and Alabama uh, one of the storylines was that even though Tennessee did win the series Alabama offensively had the most success as pretty much anybody has against the Tennessee pitching staff uh, what did you see from Alabama offensively that they were doing so well against those really good pitchers for Tennessee yeah, I think that they made some good adjustments going up against Carlin Pickens. And as you as you had mentioned, that nobody had been able to put up the amount of runs against Tennessee as Alabama did this weekend uh, prior to this weekend. Um, so I was really impressed with with how they were able to adjust to Pickens' speed in particular, because I think that's something that has gotten the best of a couple of teams heading into this weekend. Um, and it forced her to have to throw her off-speed pitch. And now, she is fantastic. I think she's got a long career ahead of her um, and really excited to see what she does uh, at Tennessee. Um, but I was impressed with the way that Alabama held their ground in there. They were patient on pitches that were out of the zone, but they were also aggressive whenever mistakes were made in the zone. And I think that's the type of mentality that you have to have. Uh, I always used to call it selfishly aggressive. You're hunting a certain pitch. If it's not there, you're letting it go. But if it does go into that zone, you are all over it. Um, so I was really impressed with, with the way that they hit the ball on Saturday. That diving catch that Jenna Johnson made in left field was incredible, too, just a way to cap it off. 
Um, but I, I, and also on the flip side of things, I thought Alex Salter threw another great game against a really good offense in Tennessee. So that's another bright spot for Alabama moving forward. Yeah, specifically with Alex Salter, and we're going to talk about the Tennessee side in a minute as well. But I mean, that that to me was the biggest story of that Saturday game, the way that she played, the fact that she went the full way against that Tennessee offense that we all know is so potent. What does that unlock potentially down the road for this Alabama team now that we've seen Alex Salter do what she did against a true top five team? I think it's huge, and I even look back to the midweek last week against UAB, and I think that that game gave Alex Salter a ton of confidence moving forward. Um, she pitched one of her best games, and then I think she followed that up going up against the Tennessee offense, and her ability to be able to mix speeds a lot, uh, drop ball, curveball combination, very different from what you see out of Montana Fouts, which, of course, you're going to see the speed. She's mixing speeds a little bit more, working the ball down in the zone, but I do think that she complements what Montana throws very well I'm just dropping the velocity down and making opponents have to prepare for something other than just straight speed. Um, so that's definitely a bright spot moving forward. I think just to be able to have somebody else to be able to shoulder some of the, the innings load for Montana. And speaking of Montana, this was really the first weekend, definitely this year, maybe of her entire career where we saw her struggle two times against the same team. Usually she does really well the second time, but even if she struggles the first time against uh, the same opponent, uh, do you see any long-term concerns there or just kind of uh, an off weekend? You know, I, I'm really not concerned long-term at all. I, I think we've seen Montana be able to bounce back from, and I don't think it has anything to do with the amount of innings that she's thrown up to this point. I think she's in good enough shape, and I think her arm is um, healthy enough to where she can handle that that load of innings. And we've heard Coach Murphy talk about how he's in constant communication with her. She's feeling good. Um, I, I do think that there were some mistakes made on the defensive end that kind of made things snowball a little bit for Montana in the circle. And when you know your pitcher doesn't have maybe their A stuff, that's where the defense really has to step up, especially on balls that are hit to the infield. If you have a chance to make a play, you need to make a play, even though it might not necessarily go down as an error in the scorebook. To me, those are the little things that I think that Alabama can shore up on moving forward is to just clean up some of those things on the infield. Speaking of mistakes, have you ever seen a, a home run be called back because of a the batter uh, passing the, the runner? And have you ever seen an umpire leave the field to go get the rule book <laughs> to make sure he's got everything right? Uh, so I think I've seen it once where a runner ran past the, the, or I guess the hitter ran past the base runner once in my career. I've not seen an umpire go get the rule book before. That's a, that's a first for me. I did have one moment where when I was playing I hit a home run, but the runner that was on base left the base early. So it completely just wiped out my home run, which was a bummer. Um, but that's oh. it's just one of those things where it's a rule that you very rarely see, but it is indeed a rule. Just, I mean, we make the joke all the time. Just add it to the list. We, we've seven years together. And it was something I'd never seen before. Something and I, new happens every game. I couldn't it's... believe how, frankly, all of Sunday unfolded, Madison. I don't know if you want to talk specifically about that game, but I just felt like we saw weirdness after weirdness after weirdness in game three. Yeah, it was a little bit crazy, too. There was, uh, let's see, we had some ejections in that game um, with the the home run and, and the runner being out. I, there was, I'm sure there's some that I was missing, too. I was running, chasing around my kids in the stands. So I'm sure I missed something else. But during that that home run, I had actually left to go uh, run down and do something 
for my daughter. And by the time I came back, not a single pitch had been thrown, even though I had been gone for a substantial amount of time. So I looked up at the scoreboard and I'm like, wait a second, did I just travel back in time here? Nothing's happened. Not a single pitch has been thrown. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we felt. Yeah, in the booth. They're, they're they're like, tap this dancing has been on 20 minutes. Yes. What's going on? What is going on? <laughs> We're stealing second with Madison Shipman. And Maddie, let's talk about Tennessee. Uh, going into that game three in our pregame, we were talking about Kiki Malloy. And I said, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were looking at Kiki and saying, wow, runaway SEC player of the year. She'd been quiet. And then we saw a big day on Sunday. And now she looks like she's right back at the forefront of that race. Is she right now the best player in the SEC, Kiki Malloy? Yeah, I think all around player. I, I think you go with Kiki. And I, you, I think when we talk about Kiki, you mostly stick on her offensive numbers and her insane batting average that she's been able to put up this year, the home runs. But what I love watching when she plays is the way that she runs bases. She runs bases with authority and aggressiveness, and she's always looking to take that extra base. And that's not something that's necessarily taught, but that's just an instinct that she has. So when she's on the base paths, like you have to, you have to make sure your head's on a swivel. Cause I even think that there was one instant instance in the first game, I believe where she ended up taking second base after a routine infield, I believe it was a ground out to second base and she was on her way back to first, but then noticed that nobody was covering second and just took off. So her ability to take, the extra 60 feet, I think, makes such a huge difference in her game because already when she comes up to the plate, the defense is almost a little bit on their heels because they know that she has the speed, she has the power. So for all of those reasons, I think she's definitely one that you, you if you haven't gotten a chance to watch Kiki Malloy play, you need to watch her play. We mentioned the Tennessee pitching staff a little while ago, and uh, they all had sub one ERAs entering the weekend. I think they probably still do, even though you know they did uh, pick and sucker first loss. Uh, but what do you think that pitching staff can learn from this past weekend against Alabama? Yeah, I think they were really, you know. Uh... They had one loss on the season. They played Clemson earlier in the year, but I think that Alabama really took it to them. And I think that when you look back at that LSU series, LSU, I believe, only put up two runs the entire weekend. Um, but for Alabama to come back and just never go away, to continue to put up run after run, I think they ended up, what, with 10 runs on the weekend that they scored. So that was something that the Tennessee pitching staff kind of had to look back and go, okay, maybe where where can we improve in some certain areas? Now, of course, they ended up coming out with the series win, um, but I think that they're unique in the sense that they have three pitchers that can truly start on any given day and go the full seven too. Um, and I think a healthy Ashley Rogers for them makes a big difference. Uh, she looked great uh, a day one. Carlin Pickens, as we mentioned, with the speed. But Peyton Gottschall has kind of been somebody that has flown under the radar, too, that got touched up a little bit by Alabama this weekend. But when you look at the, re the rest of the work that she's been able to do this season, pitching on those day threes, she has that completely different look from what you see from Pickens and from Ashley Rogers. She's a little bit more spinny. So again, just another type of pitcher that these opponents are having to prepare for during the week when you go up against Tennessee, not to mention the great defense that they play and not to mention the offense that they play or that they are able to hit the ball so consistently as well. And as we look ahead this weekend, there are a couple series that we're going to talk about with Madison, but the first I want to discuss, it feels like a trap. I'm not going to lie. You look at the schedule and you go, oh boy, th this could be dangerous. It's Tennessee after this emotional series with Alabama going to College Station, a team that for the life of me, I can't figure out. The Kentucky series was as chaotic as anything I've ever seen. How do you see these three games in College Station playing out? You know, it's, it's, 
it kind of funny because I have uh, similar thoughts on that too. What was that game one against Kentucky last weekend was 14 to 13 or something <laughs> insane. I just kept looking up at the score and it was just changing constantly every single inning. Uh, yeah, Texas A&M, I, I've been talking about them since the beginning of the year. I think they're a very tough team. I, I think they're a team that has uh, the, the capability of having an explosive offense, but also their pitching staff. I, I Really like the way that Emily Kennedy throws because she throws lefty. She's got that high velocity. I think when we've gotten into SEC play, you're kind of seeing her elevate her pitches a little bit, and that's where people are just tattooing the ball. But if she can get a game where she's zeroing in on that low part of the zone, I think she's really tough to hit. Um, So it's going to be tough for, for Tennessee this weekend, but again, they, they've shown that they can play against the best. They beat Clemson in a one nothing game earlier this year. So they've been in those tough situations. I'm, um, again, just impressed with the way that they've been able to play. But even you look through the rest of Tennessee's schedule, I think that they have a really tough SEC schedule the rest of the way out. It is not a cakewalk for them. So they're going to be tested every single weekend in the SEC moving forward. And then speaking of Kentucky, uh, Kentucky has a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series uh, with Georgia um Kentucky we almost thought we had them figured out Stephanie Schoonover was going to be ready she was going to go full-on all-American she's who's pitching everything was fine and then last weekend happened against Texas A&M so now Kentucky's back to being the enigmas that we know that they are Georgia is playing as well as anybody in the conference uh what does Kentucky have to do to slow down the Bulldog offense which is hitting on all cylinders right now that's such a tough question because I, when I watch Georgia swings, I just think that they have some of the most dangerous swings in the SEC because of how long their barrels stay in the zone. And it just seems like they see the ball so deep, especially the right-handed batters hit the ball so well um, on the outside part of the plate, low and inside. It's going to be a tough weekend for Kentucky. Uh, and I, I think if you're going to attack Georgia's hitters, you have to find a way to keep them off balance and keep moving the ball through the zone. Um, if you stay in one spot, they're going to be able to make an adjustment on it. So it's just that that mental chess game of staying one pitch ahead of those Georgia batters. Um, and what, from an offensive standpoint for Kentucky, too, I think for them, it's going to come down to Kayla Kowalik being able to do what she does, and that's get on base consistently and try to wreak havoc on the base paths and see what you can do, try to get on base, get some of that momentum going um, on your side, because I think it's going to be a slugfest on both sides, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think both of these lineups have the capability of having explosive offenses. We haven't even mentioned uh, Aaron Koffel for Kentucky. as uh, She's swinging the bat really well right now, too. So it's uh, going to be an exciting weekend. I'm actually on the call for those games this weekend. So it's going to be it's going to be a really good, uh, good weekend for sure. Oh, that's perfect. I'm no, glad no. that's how that worked. I, I'm going to throw one more at you, Maddie, because I know you've always got the answers. Florida, what's up? Why is Florida struggling so much right now? The blowout losses in particular are what really concern me and the amount of them that we've seen already this year. Yeah. So when I watch Florida play, I think that they've made a few more defensive mistakes than we're used to seeing a Florida team make. And I think when you add that on to a pitching staff, that's not a strikeout pitching staff, but more of a pitch to contact pitching staff. So they're going out there to try to get people to miss hit the ball, to get them to put the ball in play. 
And when you make defensive mistakes behind them, that's when things start to snowball. Um, from an offensive standpoint, I just think it, it's similar to what we talked about with them last year is just finding that consistent piece top to bottom. They'll have games where, you know, Skylar Wallace will have a great game. Charlotte Eccles will have a great game, but maybe you're just seeing hits at the top of the order and not seeing them one through nine in the order. And so I think for them, if I'm looking at their offense, I'm just looking to get a bit more consistency at the bottom part of the order to maybe get people on base for somebody like a Skylar Wallace to be able to bring them in. Interesting. Florida is in a position right now, we'll cover it later in Bracketology, that I can't remember the last time they were in. And Florida is frankly in a lot of danger in terms of not hosting regionals. Madison Shipman, before we let you go, I do have a trivia question for you. It's for 500 points. Who makes the best banana pudding in the Knoxville area? I'm assuming you guys want me to say myself. So I will. It, it, I, can I say myself? Madison, you can. For, for 500 points. All right. Yes. Correct. <laughs> you nailed it. I'm not going to lie. You made me a little nervous when you, when you threw trivia at me. I was like, wait a second. That wasn't part of the deal here. <laughs> I was specifically told no trivia. That was, that was actually the deal. And yes. that's going to be in the contract going forward. <laughs> Madison Shipman, thank you so much for stealing second with us. It, it was so great to see you in person this past weekend. And I'm not sure the next time we will, maybe in Fayetteville, the SEC tournament. I was going to say, I hope to see you guys soon. Thank you guys again for having me on. Thanks, Maddie. So, Tom, that was our dear friend Madison Shipman. And I just want to know when we're opening that food truck. I'm telling you, we get some investors together. But there's, there's plenty of open spots in Tuscaloosa if they want to come on down. That chewy spot. Here's the thing. All right, we're going to involve you, the listener. Yes. What is the Shipman food truck and or restaurant called? Give us some ideas. I will allow Smokey's Meats. Okay, that's fair. That can right. be spun. Right. Because yeah, yeah. everyone likes dogs. That's true. So that's okay. Except for me when I came out of the bathroom and <laughs> ran into the mascot and got so scared. Well, that was a man in a mascot. Yes, but costume. still, it was right. alarming. I was suddenly surrounded by fur and I don't know what happened. It was like the worst remake of 101 Dalmatians ever. <laughs> Just not awesome. Thank you to Madison Shipman for joining us. Tom, are you ready for what's coming next? I know I, I know I'm breaking a rule, but it's with the schedule in mind. I would like to point out I voted no in the poll. So did I, but the people voted yes, and schedule-wise, it makes sense. Okay. So when we come back, we'll round third. We've got Bracketology, then we've got On Second Thought, and then, of course, some big games to watch coming up this week. That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back. It's time to round third. We're getting ready to score, Tom, and we are maybe ahead of ourselves, or at least I am, here on this segment of the show because I'm breaking a rule. To be fair, a rule that I made up. Right, yes. But still a rule. We're doing our first bracketology. Way too early bracketology. I mean, it's a week early, but... April is in three days, Yeah, and right. next week's show is the Boxy, so we're going to be doing a lot of awards, and we'll have a guest as well. Time could be an issue, so we're going to do the full Bracketology first edition tonight. I often open up Christmas presents on December 22nd because Christmas is just three days away. Okay, but is it also your birthday on Christmas? I mean, there is so it's much. close. It's the December That's actually 19th. true. Yes, You're right. not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Now every listener should right. send Tom a card on his birthday. Or money. Or money. That's actually... Well, uh, State Farm's got us covered. Preferable, right. <laughs> okay. Visit Britain. <laughs> if you are new here, I don't do a full 64 because there are a lot of people out there who make that. And I just, you know, I don't have the time. Sorry. I have yeah. other things that I'm doing. Right. I just do 1 through 16. The seated teams... Last year... You don't know who's going to win the Atlantic 10? I don't. Okay. Uh, last year, I did get all 16 correct, and if my memory's right, I think I properly seated nine of them. I think that sounds and right, yeah. I think maybe one I had off, and that was UCLA, more than one spot. Mm -hmm. So, well, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying I know what I'm doing, but last year, I knew a little bit better than I normally do. There you go. And I'm learning. And I'm going to read my 16, but I do want to make a point. You're going to notice a couple of things here that go against my old statements, which are conference championships and head-to-head -head have to matter. I'm starting to learn that the committee doesn't give a darn about conference championships or head-to-head. -head. Which is ridiculous. It, which is crazy. They should, but they don't. Right. So I, I'm not even going to really factor head-to-head -head into this until the very end when we've got a full complete profile until then i'm just going off of the information that we have and again this is not what you would do this is what you think the committee will do right okay. based off of the team sheets that we are given thanks to the ncaa okay okay here we go i'm going to read the seed list and then i'll go through the potential supers matchups and then as usual tom send me any questions that you may have number one seed oklahoma two seed ucla i'm shocked okay three oklahoma state four tennessee Five, Stanford, six, Clemson, seven, Washington, eight, LSU, nine, Duke, 10, Florida State, 11, Oregon, 12, Texas, 13, Northwestern, 14, Georgia, 15, Alabama, 16, Arkansas. The four teams just out in order, 17 to 20, Louisiana, Kentucky, Wichita State, and Florida. So your potential supers matchups would be 116 Oklahoma, Arkansas. Mm, good wow. Luck. That'd be awesome, but good luck. 215 UCLA, Alabama. Wow. I mean, LA's fun. Yeah, but okay. The super might not be. Right. 314 Oklahoma State, Georgia. 413 Tennessee, Northwestern. 512 Stanford, Texas. 611 Clemson, Oregon. 7-10, Washington, Florida State, 8-9, LSU, Duke. So I already know that these are wrong because I don't think there's a single interconference matchup right, there. Yeah. But they would be pretty compelling. That would be very interesting supers for sure. Okay, Tom, what questions do you have? Uh, well, well, we'll start with Alabama. 
what have they done to be 15 and is it an upward trajectory or downward at this point? So we have often talked about the committees and asked the questions, what are they going to value? Some years it's strength of schedule, some years it's good wins, some years they really ding for bad strength of schedules or bad losses. Alabama is going to test everything that the committee has ever looked at because they have a little bit of everything. They've got the great wins at Tennessee, six in the RPI, Duke at a neutral site, seven in the RPI, at Texas, 10 in the RPI, Florida State at a neutral site, 12 in the RPI. That's four top 12 RPI wins all away from Rhodes. They've also got a win over Arkansas. Strength of schedules number six, non-con strength of schedules number 19. They've got three RPI top 10 wins, five top 25. The top 50 win mark probably needs to get higher to feel more comfortable and to rise a little bit, but we're going to see a lot of those games coming up very soon. The problem is they've got the second worst loss of anybody in this packet, which is Kennesaw State at right now 157, and that just improved a good bit. Kennesaw State jumped about 18 spots in the RPI from the last look going into the weekend. The problem is there's a lot of good and there's more bad than pretty much anybody else has. So it's going to be really important for Alabama to take care of business in the middle. You know, series like Missouri that are coming up, series like Ole Miss and South Carolina and Mississippi State, those that are going to be in the 26 to 50, maybe you know, 51, 55 area, a a Liberty midweek Marshall is improving Mm -hmm. slowly, but surely. So it's going to be those games that, that really determine, I think where Alabama is seated, because honestly, they, they could not win another top 25 RPI game this year and have as many or more than some other teams will have by the end of the season. And we know this can't have any more bad losses, right? So it's going to be fascinating to see, what the committee circles the most. I think they're going to value high quality wins as we've seen them kind of skew towards the last few years, but I could be wrong and they could want to punish teams a little bit more this season for bad losses, which might make Northwestern at 13 look improper because of that loss to Toledo. So we'll see how it all shakes out. With Oklahoma at one is the only chance for them to not be the number one overall seed is if they lose to Oklahoma state. And Probably and Oklahoma State move move up ahead of them. Yeah, I mean UCLA is holding on to the two spot, but very very carefully and precariously. There's not a huge difference in overall profiles between Oklahoma State and UCLA. Just a, a couple more high end wins for the Bruins that are keeping them afloat. Mm-hmm. But Oklahoma State's number one in the RPI right now for a reason, and if they're able to somehow take two games from the Sooners, not out of the realm of possibility that we could be looking at a world where Oklahoma State's the number one overall seed come NCAA tournament time. A lot to go on until then, but right now, Oklahoma State's worst loss is Maryland, 35. Pretty good. Better average RPI of wins, better average RPI of losses. Oklahoma has better wins, but Oklahoma State will have chances down the stretch. So is it impossible? No. Uh, I still think at the end of the day, we're probably going to see no matter what happens, barring a collapse, perception win the day and keep OU at one, but time will tell. Of those top eights, who has the most tenuous lock on the top eight seed right now? I would say it's a tie between Clemson and LSU. Clemson is the team that I'm curious about because their strength of schedule could crush them. 67 overall, a non-con SOS of 101, 
which it, is which we've good. heard before has been like the holy grail right. of committees is your non-conference strength of schedule right which and, we both disagree with but that's what that's what they say and gaudy overall record 32 and one committee didn't give a crap about that when it was minnesota a few years ago so we'll see it's a different committee since then a different makeup for sure but we'll see how the sos mark comes back to haunt clemson if it does at all this year because right now their best wins are northwestern twice georgia and then charlotte at 25. charlotte's a good team but they need a little bit more on the upper end of the spectrum and then lsu i'm honestly a little bit surprised they're as high as they are their best wins are louisiana central arkansas twice and michigan they don't have any awful losses, but they haven't really racked up the RPI top 25 and, and top 10 wins that I would hope to see. Good SOS, but if they start playing this, you know, 2-1 weekend versus teams that are in the 30s situation like they've done to start conference play, things could get a little bit more dicey for LSU. All right. I think it's a good start for Recatology. Thank you. Number one. Thank you. And, and you'll notice, again, I, I talked about head-to-head. Florida State just took a series against Duke. Still have Duke ahead of Florida State. We saw Arkansas take a series from Alabama. Still have Alabama ahead of Arkansas. I think right now the profiles for Duke and Alabama warrant that. That could change, of course, going forward. And Alabama beat Duke. They did, yes. I mean, head-to-head, it's really hard, especially now with all the teams playing each other. I also want to pinpoint Florida real quick before we move on. I've got them at 20. That's barely on the page. RPI of 21, SOS of 45, non-con SOS of 63. They have two RPI top 25 wins. To put that in perspective, Alabama has five. They have five RPI top 50 wins. Their best wins are Louisiana at Arkansas once and UCF who's 44. So Florida needs to make up some ground quickly. Yeah. Okay, so there's the first bracketology. If you have questions, please hit me up in the DMs at Gray underscore Robertson on the Twitter. It's time for On Second Thought. We look back at our landmines and gold mines and all the juicy predictions that we threw out in the premiere mm. and give our, you know, a little vibe check. See how things are going. Yeah. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I'll go ahead. Okay. Uh, my first one was Alabama-centric. Montana Fouts won SEC Pitcher and National Pitcher of the Year. Um, doesn't look great just because Montana's got a few losses and, you know, Tennessee, all three of their pitchers are doing so well. A lot of pitchers have put up really gaudy numbers here to start things off. And, uh, you know, Montana's given up some runs. So off the table, no, but it's going to be a, going to have to be quite the, the home stretch for the people's queen. Yeah. She would almost not need to lose again. Right. And also, which I'm all for that would be great, but also that would require Ashley Rogers taking some dings. And I think we probably agree right now. She's a front runner. Unlikely for SEC pitcher of the year. Correct. Mine is uh, Ashley Prangy will lead Alabama in home runs. Feel pretty good about that one. It it is currently correct. Yes. As we look at the home run statistics for the university of Alabama, Ashley Prangy leads the way with nine. Then Kimley Cahalen with six, Bailey Dowling with five. I could see a world where BD catches up to her. Yeah, uh, because the home run ball has not been as prevalent for Prang in the last few outings. But, you know, right now, actually, Prang leads Alabama in home runs. So I feel good about that prediction that she will eventually finish the year leading Alabama in home runs. The team that wins the SEC regular season championship will not be the highest, highest seeded SEC team in the NCAA tournament. I don't like it anymore. 
Yeah. I liked it before. If Tennessee like wins the SEC, they're right. going to be yes. the best SEC seed. Right. So, And if they don't, then they will have had an issue and somebody else will probably jump them. I, my, my thought when I made this was that Florida was going to win the conference, but do it without playing Alabama and maybe Alabama would be ranked higher than they are in the seedings. And now you could still have a chance if Georgia wins the SEC with all the math that will be involved. True. Yes. But yeah, I don't like this don't, for you. No, no. It's tough. Uh, the SEC freshman of the year race will be much more exciting this year and a player from Alabama or Arkansas will win it. I don't feel good about this. I don't think it's going to be exciting at all. In fact, I think it might already be sewn up barring a collapse. I think Carlin Pickens will be your SEC freshman of the year. And if not her, Sydney Brazon at LSU, one of those two is more than likely going to win SEC freshman of the year. I think the only possibility would be if Kenneth Halen just goes on an absolute tear here for the last month of the season. Like 20 for 30 right. in the next, not even, that might not even be good enough. Like 20 for 22, well, something crazy. It could be 20 for 30, but like 10 of them need to be home runs. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be tough. Uh, so, I mean, you know, for I'm that for prediction. It. Go for it. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Yes. I, it, it, you know, we could see intrigue in the Pickens versus Burzon race if Sidney Burzon becomes LSU's number one, because Pickens, I, I still think, might be the more talented arm on Tennessee staff, but Rodgers is going to be the number one because of the seniority there. Yeah. And that could be fun, but I don't know. I don't feel great about it. All right. And my third one this year, 15 of the 16 seeded teams make supers. Based on what you just read for me, bracketology-wise, I feel good about it. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that we could see a lot of in-regional upsets, but not a lot of actual upsets of teams coming out of regionals. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like we we could see some seeded teams coming through losers bracket and winning. Yeah, or having you know maybe losing the first game on championship Sunday, you know, and then winning the second game. And yeah, I I could see a lot of not very clean regionals, but I think things are going to kind of shake out the way that you've written it here. Yeah. So, so one for three, not bad. And you never know. Yeah. It's better than half for three. <laughs> okay. The ACC will have equal or the same number of teams in OKC as the SEC and both conferences will have more than the PAC 12. I don't love it. UCLA, Stanford, Washington, they all look like legit possibilities to go to OKC. Yeah. UCLA and Stanford in particular are teams that I think you would consider it a pretty big upset. We're, we're almost to that point where if they don't make it to OKC, the ACC, you know, Florida State, think, Clemson do like I, I think I, a little bit of it is the ACC's underperformed a little yeah. bit compared to what we thought. And frankly, the SEC has too. I don't think you see I don't think it's quite a resurgence of the Pac-12 outside of uh, UCLA and Sanford. I'm still not sold on Washington, uh, but yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit more spread out. I agree. And, you know, the Big 12 is sitting there with at least two top eight seeds, if not a third, depending on what Texas does. Right. Before we move on, some big games to watch this week. Already happening tonight as we record Virginia Tech Liberty. Always fun when Liberty plays these midweeks against ACC teams. Find a way to lose by one run. Just oh, man. Eight. Hokies lead at 5-3. Clemson's already run-ruled South Carolina. And mm. in College Station... Bottom of the sixth, as we record, probably be final by the time we close out the last segment. Texas A&M and Lamar tied it too. That would that would be a rough loss for A&M. 
coming off of winning the series you know, in Lexington. They were almost on my sheet. <laughs> right. This would be not good. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, Louisville at Kentucky, always fun. Baylor at Texas State. Who's going to win? Both teams have not been winning lately. Right. And Stanford at Fullerton. Fullerton has got some big skins on the wall this year. Yeah, the only other team to beat Tennessee this year yeah. other than Alabama is Cal State Fullerton. Yes, Alabama and Fullerton, both with tusks involved. Yes, the elephant mascots. Yes, that's so Tennessee, that's the formula. That's the formula. And Alabama, I'm sorry. Alabama, avoid birds. <laughs> Tennessee, avoid elephants. Pachyderms no. of any type. <laughs> Thursday is BYU at LSU. So now, and they'll play a couple more times this weekend. Let's do our thing, Tom. We're going to each pick a series to watch Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's start with Friday. Uh, I think you got to start with Texas and Oklahoma, the first game in Oklahoma City. Then they'll go to Norman for the last two. You know, Texas was able to get a game from Oklahoma last year, but that was in Austin. Can Texas go on the road and get one from the Sooners and kind of keep everybody within shouting distance of Oklahoma? That OKC game is going to be wild. Have fun, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we will pick that series coming up in just a bit. I'm going to look at Duke at Virginia Tech uh, as we track this Virginia Tech Liberty game. Virginia Tech is in a like kind of horrible position right now, RPI-wise. They're just inside the top 30 right now. They would not have any business being on my bracketology. But you win two out of three or sweep Duke, and that changes very quickly. So this is the kind of weekend that could be a great opportunity for Pete DeMore and the Hokies. Saturday, Tom. Well, the uh, the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, I need to mention that o Oregon State has not had the type of year that they were hoping to have, they were predicted to have. It's been a struggle, but got to shout out what Abby Dorr has been able to yeah. do for the Beavers. Uh, noted leadoff hitter, Abby Dorr. I mean, hitting bombs. Yeah. a girl. Go, Abby. Oregon comes in off the high of getting a game from UCLA. You know, they've been swiping games against good teams but not winning series and now they have to go on the road against a team that has overall been struggling and dealing with injuries could be interesting yeah stanford at ucla on saturday i specifically picked saturday because this is the day that the ucla live stream will be voiced by our friends jen schroeder and tara henry oh wow so tune in however the heck you access the pac-12 network apps they are allowing us inside the brewing bubble i don't know i'm gonna try to watch it All right i yeah. do my best should be fun stanford ucla this series is huge it might determine the pac-12 stanford did not see nagery kennedy pitch last weekend against oregon state which was odd ucla has been the kind of team that has gone two and one every series in conference play thus far i mean if stanford's legit this is the series that you prove it and win two out of three in westwood sunday tom I'm looking at that Utah-California series out in the Pac-12, another another interesting one because we talked about all these other teams that are atop the Pac-12, and we didn't mention Utah. They are. So, I mean, they, they've been uh, hitting the cover off the ball uh, against a Cal team that got a, got a game from UCLA. They're kind of on the come up too, so uh, that, that may be uh, a sneaky good series between the Utes and the Bears. I'm going to look at Washington at Arizona State. The Sun Devils have been hovering in the are they good realm. Mac Osborne has been pitching really well of late. Washington just swept Arizona and did so again in three tight games, two walk-offs. How do they do out in the desert, on the road, in a place where the ball flies? Can an Arizona State finally put it together and get some 
you know, a series win, get multiple victories against these good teams. I don't know. We'll find out, but it should be fun. It's yeah, a good weekend. It is. And we're going to pick Stanford, UCLA, and OU Texas coming up after the break, Tom. No. Oh, uh, Is yes. that break coming up? It is. Okay. After this word from, just kidding, we're not. <laughs> we don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. It I'm could be sure. anybody. Whoever they are, support them. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Which could also be who it is. <laughs> when we come back, we'll head home. That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Normal week, normal length, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We got a big heading home segment coming up, we Tom. Do. Right. We got picks. We have off the wall. We have Tom's Hungry. We'll and, start with picks. An epic weekend for Tom's Hungry, though. So it was. Be ready. I mean, we got seriously, we have a lot to discuss. Story time. Why did Gray only eat half his burger? We'll find out. <laughs> Which might have also translated on why did the mascot scare him so much? Look, a lot was going on. I haven't had that much Sprite in years. <laughs> anyway, we'll start with picks. Are we ever going to separate each other from ourselves? That's not the right way to say it, but we're still tied, dang it. <laughs> and and it's not, not like we're picking the same thing. No. Seven to seven, Gray and Tom. We both had Tennessee 2-1, so we're not the jinx. Good no. to know. Right. We're just going right. to pick straight up. We'll mark that off. Yes. All right. We both got Arkansas 2-1 over Florida. I got A&M 2-1 over Kentucky, the pick that got the dinner table most shocked at yes. me. Gasps. And then you got LSU 2-1 on maybe my biggest reach in LSU yeah. sweep in right. retrospect. Right. Although I got some, you know, picking Ole Miss to win a game. I, I got some, some side-eye looks as well. From me in particular. <laughs> So we've got, of course, our SEC series. We've got the two extra series, and then we'll pick Alabama and Missouri coming up but in a bit. Special thanks to SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan for moderating our picking uh, at the dinner table. Yes, he did. The shipments. And we will do Nate's Thirsty at some point, yes, by the way. Yes, that is coming up. Okay, we start with Florida at South Carolina, which has quickly become a fascinating series for the Florida Gators. How does Florida look right now? I mean – they're they're reeling. I mean, SEC wise, they're three and three in the conference. It doesn't feel like that. South Carolina just got demolished by Clemson like moments ago. So where where do they stack up? I'm gonna take Florida two one. I can't trust them to sweep. And as crazy as it is to pick South Carolina to win a game against Florida, uh, we've seen it in the past. Remember the Gamecocks went to Gainesville and won a game a couple years ago. I just I can't I can't trust Florida's pitching right now, even against a South Carolina team that has been tough to figure out. But speaking of not being able to trust people, like we started actually a couple of weeks ago, we were like, all right, South Carolina. They're like, okay, South Carolina's maybe figured it out a little bit, and then they promptly get swept by Mississippi State. And you're like, what in the world is happening, South Carolina? Why I'm going to pick Florida to sweep them? I just I it, I know you can't trust Florida. I trust South Carolina less. So you're picking a team to sweep that is coming off of a 14-1 to loss. That, that is correct. Oh, boy. I'm picking them to sweep the team that's coming off of a 10 nothing loss. Fair. Just now. Okay, that's that's a good point. Good counter, Tom. Moments ago. Nice banter. <laughs> okay. I've been told we do that well. Yes, yes. Thank you to everyone for tweeting us. Arkansas at Mississippi State. Mississippi State loses twice at Georgia. Arkansas has... I would say overperformed the last two weekends. Mississippi State right now, three and two in the league. I'm gonna say Arkansas two one. It feels like the safe bet. I my gut's telling me to pick Mississippi State to win this series, which doesn't really? feel it is. Wow. Um this feels like 
in a weird year in the SEC where maybe Tennessee is the only really, really good team, the kind of series that one of the teams who's, you know, playing well recently would lose. But I'm going to take Arkansas 2-1. I'm going to take Arkansas 2-1, and my question would be, should I take Arkansas to, to sweep? But I, I don't think going on the road, I, I don't trust them to get a sweep, but I, I think they win the series pretty convincingly. Mississippi State wins their one game by one run at some point. So we're just going to do Tennessee at Texas A&M now. I'm taking Tennessee 2-1. I think A&M is going to find a game. I feel like every option is on the table minus an A&M sweep. Uh, I could see a world where A&M wins the series, honestly, if they swing it well. I know that this is not the best reflection. Their current two runs against Lamar right. go into the seventh. Yeah. But this A&M offense has been pretty good at times. The problem is when they faced elite pitching, UCLA, Oklahoma, they have been shut down. And Tennessee has elite pitching. So I think the Lady Balls are going to win the series 2-1. I can't pick a road team to get two sweeps on a weekend. Uh, so I'm also going to pick Tennessee 2-1. I, I mean, I know AM put up copious num- amount of runs against Kentucky. Some of that, I think, is Kentucky. Mm. Um, I don't see them being able to do anywhere near that against the Tennessee pitching staff. If I wasn't picking Tennessee 2-1, I would pick a Tennessee sweep, but I think I'm going to err on the side of caution and go 2-1 as well. Ole Miss at Auburn. I'm going to take an Auburn sweep. I don't think they're going to hit Penta. I don't think they're going to touch her. And we drew low. I I think they can do just enough in that second game to quiet a Rebels offense that has been inconsistent and not super potent this year. Ole Miss's pitching has actually quietly been pretty good this year. And Auburn offensively didn't really impress me watching the Missouri games. But I, I just think right now Penta's on – another level that Ole Miss won't be able to touch. So I've got Auburn sweeping. Yeah, the pin is not going to pitch all three games. And we just saw Ole Miss, you know, take a game from Kilponen. Mm-hmm. I just don't see Auburn being on the caliber of sweeping back-to-back weekends. So I'm going to go 2-1 Auburn. Okay. We're, we're getting, you know, we're getting yeah. some differential a little, here. A little, a little separation. Kentucky of Georgia. You heard Madison Shipman talk about it Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So this is where the enigmaness rears its head in whatever the opposite of ugly is. It's beautiful head. Mm. Kentucky is going to win this series 2-1. In Athens, yes, I said it. I am doing my best to figure out the unfigureoutable. Wildcats 2-1. Did did you take your medicine today? I did. I just maybe that's why this pod has been so long. <laughs> I thought you liked Georgia. I do. This is more about Kentucky. And I think I think we've also seen with Georgia's pitching staff, good weekend, bad weekend, good performance, bad performance. I, I think we're gonna see three, at least two, maybe three, high scoring games, and Kentucky's offense kind of feels due. So I'm going to take Kayla Kowalik and Aaron Koffel and our FGCL Player of the Week, Grace Lorsung, mm-hmm. and the Kentucky Wildcats to go into Athens and win two of three. Usually, you're championing Georgia, mm-hmm. and I'm on the Kentucky bandwagon. Oh, no. But we're going to go opposite here, because I'm going to say Georgia wins 2-1. Okay. Uh, it's at home. Georgia's playing extremely well. Kentucky's got to be reeling. 
Yeah, I know they they won the last game 10-2, so that, that maybe they've kind of, you know, figured a few things out and maybe got the bad taste out of their mouth a little bit. But I don't think I don't think you give up that many runs in a three-game series and then are just fine the next weekend. Going on the road, a place like Georgia where the ball flies out of there, it's a launching pad. Uh, I think that Georgia offense uh, bludgeons them probably in, in one game. It's a close game, the, and the other two are close. But okay. I, think, I think Georgia wins it. All right. Fine by me. Yeah. We'll see. I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I, I really think this is the week we break the tie. Okay. There's no chance. We're oh. not going to be tied. Oh, there's a chance. Well, that's true. Texas at Oklahoma. We're picking it. Okay. Last year, you did correctly predict that Texas would steal a game. My new philosophy has been, I'm going to pick OU to sweep and apologize and admit I was wrong if they don't. I'm going to stick with it for now. That could change when we do eventually pick Bedlam. Bedlam, oh my gosh. That's going to be fun. But for now, I will pick an OU sweep. Very excited to hopefully find a way to watch that Friday game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also going to pick an Oklahoma sweep. Okay. Uh, it's in, you know, one game in Oklahoma City, two in Norman. I thought one of the main reasons why I picked Texas to win a game last year is because it was in Austin. I, I I don't see them being able to go on the road and, and getting anything from the Sooners. I think Texas is pitching is the weak link here, but yeah. we'll see how it all plays out this weekend. They, Stanford, they, haven't, they haven't been bludgeoning people like, right. like they have in the past. So if the if the pitching does have a good weekend, you know, it's possible. I don't think it's impossible for Texas to win a game. But I'm not going to pick it. Stanford at UCLA. Could decide the Pac-12. Brooke Yanez did not have a good weekend last weekend against her former team, the Oregon Ducks. Megan Faramo did. She looks fine. The UCLA offense has been good. There are quiet days. The Stanford pitching staff has been one of the biggest stories out West all year. I think we're going to see for sure Stanford win a game. But the question is, can they find a way to win two in Westwood, I think, honestly, I think at a neutral site, this would be a pretty easy Stanford 2-1 for me. But in Westwood... With with Jen and Tara on the call? I mean, I'm taking UCLA 2-1. I think Stanford could still be the better team. But I do think that the Bruins, with that Bruin magic, that Bruin bubble, that they find a way to win this series, it's going to probably be three really tight 2-1-1-0 games. If I was smart, I would do the same thing you just did, because I agree. I think Sanford definitely wins at least one. You know, I finished third on Jeopardy. I wasn't first. <clears throat> I'm going to pick Stanford to win the series 2-1. Wow. I think the game UCLA wins is the one that Jen and Tara call. Sure. Sure, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, come on. Of course. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> but, man, Sanford, after, you know, we had a couple questions after week one, but since then the Cardinals have just been – really really good that they've answered almost all the questions we've had um it a lot of it's going to come down to this weekend and i think they've proven that they are that type of team and i think one of the questions is going to be nasri kennedy is she good to go you know we we did not see her pitch against oregon state is that a story i don't know could be you know she didn't throw all that much against oregon either but if she's if she's good to go, yeah, then I could see your way playing out of it. Just Vauder and Reagan Krause, he's been kind of just fine this year, then I feel better about my pick. Yeah. But we'll see. Okay. Last one, Alabama, Missouri. It's a again, it's a again the jinx is back off the table. The jinx is off the table. 
So I think I'm just going to go with what I think is going to happen. And it's incumbent upon a couple things. One, that the Montana blip in the radar was truly a blip in the radar in Knoxville. And two, that that Alabama just keeps their same mindset. I said it in postgame on Sunday. If they play like they did on Saturday against Missouri, it should be a fairly easy weekend based on how Missouri has looked coming in as well. As easy as a right. road series in the SEC. Sure. Be. I mean, I'm right. not, you know, 20 to nothing. That's sure. not what I'm talking about. Right. But, you know, Alabama should be in control all three games if they play like they did on Saturday against Tennessee. I'm going to take Alabama to one. I think sweepability is high here if Alabama puts the pieces together. But I think the safer bet is Alabama 2-1. I, I think the ser- I think the series the difference between a series victory and a series sweep is gonna come down to defense for Alabama. Mm. Uh I think if if you have three or fewer errors combined for the three games, I think Alabama sweeps. Unfortunately haven't seen enough to make me say for sure that's going to happen. So I'm also gonna say Alabama two one. But I agree with you. I think the the sweepability is very high. Um, if Alabama plays clean softball, I think the tide rolls. Uh, so hopefully that's what happens. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm almost being too cautious with it. Yeah. Because like, I genuinely think Alabama is just a flat, better team and Missouri isn't playing well either, mm-hmm. but God, it's, it's hard to pick Alabama sweep right now because we haven't seen them win a series yet. Yeah. So there's just, there's just still a couple too many questions. Right. Despite how good you feel coming out of that Tennessee series, I think to say everything is 100% turned around. Right. Uh, but I think if, if you take care of your business here this weekend, you can maybe say that moving forward. Could adjust yeah. some picks in the future. Yeah. Okay, those are the picks. That was easily the longest week we have had. Yes, wise. absolutely. So there we go. Because it's getting that time of year. Yeah, you know, there's more happening, more important series. We're going to... I'm sure dive into some ACC series at some point soon. Florida State, Clemson, not too far away. That'll be on the pick sheet. And, you know, it's it's that nuance, Tom, that is important. Understanding the game. Context. Under- yes, understanding what's happening where, you know, having a nice national thought process when it comes to sports softball. Some people out there don't have that. And I think that's how we move into this wonderful segment that we hate to do. Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes, it's back. Oh, the shenanigans are afoot. Do you want to start? I've got a couple things that I want to dive into, but I'll, I'll let you hit lead off your partner. Uh, this actually, not only for softball, this kind of goes into Alabama basketball. Oh. Because the 2022-2023 season, unfortunately, came to an end in the Sweet 16. That being said... So did my stomach that night as well. It did. Proceed. Right. Yes, that's a different type of off-the-wall that we'll talk about. 
that being said, it was still arguably the most successful season Alabama's ever had. It was still like the, you know, a unbelievably great team that won the conference regular season and tournament titles uh, was number one for a lot of the year was the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. By the way, a tournament that the highest seed to make it to the final four was a four seed. Mm. Yeah, so it is obviously a tournament of chaos. This you year. didn't have FAU in the... I did. <laughs> wow. Shockingly, no. Uh, I saw, and there was a couple of comments that really kind of just threw me for a loop. One of them was, again, from a Alabama fan, said, this just goes to show Alabama basketball will never make the Final Four or win a national championship. We should stop getting our hopes up so we don't be so disappointed. And I thought... What a piss poor attitude to have as a fan. Or a human being. Or a human being. In general. How just generally angry are you to say, ah, it'll never happen. I shouldn't get my hopes up. Ever. Ever. Right. Man. What a terrible way to be a fan. I'm I'm just I'm not excited to see Cocaine Bear, which we still haven't <laughs> seen. I'm I'm just gonna expect it to be terrible. Right. Which I expected to be terrible for two, but also in a good way. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. You expect to have um, a phenomenal time at the theater. Right. I mean, again, just a, a terrible outlook considering, you know, first of all, it's the entire season. It's the journey of the season to begin with. The the ending, obviously not what you want, but what a season it was for Alabama. And the, the fact that you were able to, like, I, as I, I tweeted at one point during the season, I legitimately felt honored to have been able to watch Brandon Miller play co- college basketball. Yeah. Um, that, you know, things were, you know, did so well. Alabama had such a great year. And the nature of the sport is you have an off day in the NCAA tournament, you're probably going to get beaten. It's going to, you know, and 67 out of 68 all lose their last game. I, I just, again, just a, a terrible way to, out, to have a look, outlook on it um, and just not a great way to be a fan. You know, I, I think if if you can't enjoy what you do have, then why do you feel like you deserve what you don't? You know, yeah. Um, as fans, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not saying to like be happy with a Sweet 16 elimination because there, you know, there were yeah. things Alabama could have done better in that game. There are things, you know, as we transition back to softball, Alabama could have done better in some of these losses that they didn't. Um, but I think in the basketball case in particular, like this was a truly great year for a lot of reasons. And I, I did like that on some of the Facebook posts, there were a lot of like, thank yous and, you know, thank you for revitalizing the program, making the fan base care about basketball again, like truly. And (laughs) I'm excited to see what the future looks like. Go back 10 years ago. How excited would we have been to say that we've been to two Sweet 16s in three years? Oh, thrilled. Uh, just, I mean, the, the people, same people who wanted to get literally give Nate Oates a lifetime contract in January were saying that he was a terrible coach and lost us the game and three-pointers and layups and dunks will we'll never win a national championship when it literally does virtually every year. Yeah. That's what the analytics say. That's why you do it that way. The problem is Alabama missed too many dunks and layups and three-pointers in the game against San Diego State. And still had a chance to win the game, had a nine-point lead in the second half and just and, and, it, and lost it at the end. But as usual, lack of a context and lack of just a, a, a knowledge of the overall situation in some of these comments. Mm. Do you have anything else? I, I think you're going to probably 
Okay. Hit on a lot of the ones that I have too. So I softball wise. Yeah. So there are a couple softball wise. One, we've been making a joke for years, and we actually got a comment that said it. They won't even make the playoffs this year. Remember, they was twenty seven in recruiting this past year. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what recruiting service you're reading. I, I don't know. Also, the playoffs? No. Also, won't make it? No. Right. Alabama is essentially a lock now. And also, yeah, it, it, if there was a recruiting service that had Alabama 27th, I don't, I don't really follow the recruiting to that point, so I don't really know. But I'm pretty sure that didn't factor in the number one recruit in next year's class nationally that came in this year's class. It's true. I also don't understand the recruiting services because every time I do research on freshmen, it's like number five. I was like, what? They had, they have a teammate who's number five as well. (laughs) Right. How many number fives are there? Right. Are we, how many ties? What is this? The ESPN top 25 (laughs) with three tied at 13, including Alabama. How does that happen? So there, there's that. All right. I've got another one and then I've got a big one. The making the playoffs. The, the other one is uh, to all the, it's going to be a long years after game three against Tennessee. And I, I can understand the frustration about how Alabama lost that game. Montana Faust didn't pitch well. Alabama made defensive miscues. And you're like, God, that like what? Where did that come from? And I can understand the frustration with how Alabama lost. But if, if you didn't see a clear progression this weekend from last weekend, and frankly, certainly from Austin, then to use a phrase I'm seeing all over Twitter, you don't know ball. Like Alabama's at-bats were better. Alabama defensively up until that Sunday game was better this weekend. The other pitchers were better this weekend. Montana, off. Not going to happen a ton. But there was a clear, just better team, a better product on the field for Alabama this weekend than we had seen the weekend prior and the weekend before that. And if you don't recognize that, then then that's on you uh, yeah. then study a little bit more watch a little bit more tape watch some more games and try and get a sense of how things compare I, I think that people are confused by this alabama team because it is a confusing team and let me explain this is not your typical alabama reel off 25 games in a row lose a game here win 10 more and compete for the conference right off the bat you know, that's what we've seen in the past. This is a different Alabama team and and that's frustrating. And I can understand why you're not used to that and why it might take a second to realize that it took me a second to realize that, but this is a team that's getting better. This is a team that's building to something. This isn't a team that was championship ready day one, but they can get there if they keep working and keep progressing. And I'm asking the fans out there to, to trust that and to trust the process and to trust the build that is being done from the coaches and from the players going forward. It's a it's a weird Alabama team compared to past Alabama teams in the greater context of college softball. Teams do this all the time. Right. So trust in the development, in the planning, in the progression that we have seen of late, that that will lead to something down the road instead of just bailing immediately after a loss. I, I, I truly think a lot of the commenters literally don't watch. I think they literally see the final score graphic and then comment and just have their uninformed opinion put out there. But in a way, I'm also making like I think regular fans need to recognize this too. Sure. Like this no. isn't this isn't your normal Alabama. And, it's yeah. a different Alabama, a different makeup, a different way that the season's going to go. And I'm not, and we're not saying 
be satisfied with the loss or like accept it or just be be okay or not be disappointed in a result that doesn't go Alabama's way. I promise you, we're disappointed that Alabama didn't win that series this past weekend, Tennessee. You're disappointed. Literally the past three last three weekends, yeah. we've been disappointed in some of the results. But I think at the same time you can be hopeful with how the team has improved from Austin to the Arkansas series to, to Tennessee. And hopefully we will see that then get some of those results yeah. starting this next weekend against Missouri. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like you said, you have to kind of trust the process because it is such a, a young team, a lot of players playing in new spots. You know, it's just one of those teams that it might take a little while and we're seeing it is taking a little while for everything to come together and gel. The hope is that it comes together and gels at the right time. Yeah, and I get it. Like, yeah. Alabama's never been like that. I would ever. rather I would rather be thirty-five and two right now too. I promise sure. you. I, and I understand that that can be a little disconcerting. Right. Uh, I'm just telling you that it happens more across college softball than you think. Oh yeah, and it's going to happen more and more as you know NIL is a transfer yes. portal and all this kind of stuff happens. You know, this is going to be more of the norm everywhere. You know, I think even at some point. UCLA and Oklahoma and those type of teams are going to start feeling it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's going to take a little while. Okay. My last one. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in a lot of people. Mm. I'm disappointed in the people who were sharing a certain writer's article after Arkansas and the way that they were sharing it. And I know that we said, we're not going to talk about this guy and I'm not going to say the site or who he is. I can't even say his name. I was, I was upset. And I also didn't read the article because I'm not going to because I already know what it says. Yeah, I don't I don't have to envision that much to understand what he's writing. But I was disappointed in the people who were sharing it as if it was a studied piece of analysis who were like, wow, this is an interesting read. Wow. Thought provoking. Wow. You know, stuff like that. It's not that. And I have questions about why people are trusting nameless and faceless bloggers instead of actual journalists who go to games who interview players who talk to the coaches who understand the sport who watch every game who actually understand the greater context of college softball and of where alabama is right now you're you're talking about a a writer who once tweeted tom a couple years ago asking why a game ended early this was after he had been covering softball for quote unquote years. Right. We're talking about somebody who said nobody had asked about the safety base conversation. That was sent to me because somebody said, wait, didn't you ask? He said, yes. He's not willing to actually look for correct answers. He's just willing to make baseless accusations essentially is what they are. We're talking about somebody who accused Rachel Garcia, maybe the most clutch hitter in UCLA's recent history for hitting unnecessarily, who called Bailey Hemphill quiet who earlier this year in another screenshot I received called Clemson overrated. That would be 32 and one Clemson who in another screenshot I got thought that Kaylee Tao was offended by a joke that has been an inside joke between us for years that I brought to the air that she laughed about for weeks after we said it. A, a writer who takes constant leaps towards the negative, who, who has nastiness coursing through every sentence, who doesn't understand the nuance of the sport, nor does he have any actual interest in understanding that nuance. And worst off, the way that he presents his opinions is as if they are fact and as if he is the only one who knows anything. He can believe whatever he wants, but the way that he presents these thoughts is what is dangerous because other people start to believe that as if this is well-researched. And the thing that pisses me off the most about it is I don't know who he is. 
no name, no face. And I can tell you what, every reporter that I see at media availabilities, that I see calling games, that I see covering this sport for their livelihood, and that includes us, will put their name on their comments and their takes and their opinions. If we have brave takes, if we have controversial things to say, people know it's coming from me, Gray Robertson. At Gray underscore Robertson on Twitter. Hit me up. I'll give you my cell and my email. I don't care. Get a lot of spam lately, so it might get lost. But still, I'm willing to put my name out there, as is every media member who covers softball except for this guy. And this is who people are listening to? I don't get it. And is he wrong all the time? Probably not. That would be really impressive if he was. But it's the way that he speaks that really gets me. And I just, I really want people to think a little bit more about who you're trusting with your coverage of college softball in general. The people who study it all day, every day, who live and breathe it, who played the game, who are willing and able to put their names and faces out there, or people who hide behind toys. Not a whole lot I can add to that. I think that dead on, obviously. Yeah, the Oklahoma fans knew where to come to me. That's right. (laughs) So, I mean, there's... Yeah, there, there's definitely that. It's just, I think as far as Alabama fans sharing it and thinking, hey, this is a good piece of, of writing. And if that guy is saying what they're thinking or, or like putting a, you know, the, oh yeah, this is this is good because he he, do, he doesn't, he thinks Alabama needs a hitting coach too. And he thinks Murph needs to be fired. So I mean, they had, you know, so they'll, they'll share it. And then I think too, because for so long, it's not the case anymore, but for so long, there was so little coverage of softball that people are still in the mindset of anytime anyone writes anything about softball Alabama, uh, I got to share it. I got to get it out there so that this team gets more coverage. I promise you there's enough people, credible people that are now writing and covering this sport, covering this team that you can not have to worry about a faceless blogger that's going to put his stuff out there uh, that is just full of vitriol and uninformed and who is who is too proud to be informed i mean how many times do we offer hey if you've got questions ask us like our dms are open we tried and tried and nothing no so i I just don't get it i mean if you if the listener has a question like let's go yeah i'll i'll answer it if i can and for the most part normally i can i i just it really frustrates me because i people believe it and i don't understand Mm -hmm. why right this kind of goes along with the what we've been saying. What you said, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Right. Uh, so just because someone has a a website uh, that is publishing their stuff doesn't mean it is worth reading or not a hack job. The fact, again, that he doesn't put his name on it, I think you should just you know uh, you can. It's really easy to to shoot their slings and arrows behind a keyboard without even put your name on it. Right. Uh, I think just be dismissed out of hand from that to begin with. It, it is disappointing that there are, there are people that I think otherwise, you know, are pretty good fans or, they're, or that they that they do know what they're talking about, but then will share it and give this guy the time of day. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't need to happen because there, there's too many other people that do know what they're talking about. You don't have to agree. I don't agree with everything that everybody else puts out there. I don't agree with everything yeah. you say. No. You don't agree with everything I say. But, you know, at least we have their names it just I'm, my face is all flushed yes. i'm really fired up about it yeah. I, if your goal is to be the skip bayless of softball and of specifically alabama softball what a terrible goal to have in life 
I don't know why I that mean, would be on yes. the vision board, Tom. Again, get a life. I'll just say that. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Oh, boy. Learn to write. You know what I could use? Some Pepto. Mm. <laughs> oh, boy. It's time for Tom's Hungry. And some smoked meats. Oh, dear. Now, the smoked meats were great. And that's where we begin, Tom. It's your segment, please. Yes. What, what a weekend. Pro- probably the probably the number one overall weekend. This year or ever? Yeah, this this year. Okay, I was about to say. Yeah, not ever. Let's probably not ever. Slow yeah, the roll. Probably not ever, but this weekend uh, of this year. First starting off, as we talked with Madison a little while ago, uh, the evening with the Shipmans and all their smoked meats of all types uh, was just unbelievable. I said it, it's. It Should is... we run through the roster, please? All yes. right, brisket, yes. pulled pork, yes. turkey, chicken, ribs. I think that's it for meat. Right. And then we had baked beans, both regular and also vegan. Uh, we had homemade sourdough bread with maybe home churned butter. Who's to say? Who's to say? Right. Uh, we had a wonderful salad that I thought was delicious. Yeah. I did too. Uh, also, some other apps and whatnot gathered around. And then, of course, a hefty dessert portion with snickerdoodle cookies. Madison's banana pudding, multiple other types of cookies, red velvet cakes and cupcakes and Tom, everything. Yeah, we're not kidding. They should open a restaurant. It is. It was that good. Uh, and when they you when they first brought out the meats, I was like, is this going to feed everybody? There was a lot of people there. There were. And then after we go through, I look back, there's still meat left. Uh-huh. I don't know how, because we all filled up the plate with the meat. And it, it, it's as though it just continued to come come forward. Uh, just what what a what an evening with the shipments and definitely a, a possible spot on the podium for that dinner. I think it would be deserved as well. Yes. All right. Honestly. Yes. Okay. So after the shipments, uh, the next morning was breakfast at First Watch, mm-hmm. which you know we love a good breakfast place, and this was this was a, a quality one as well. Uh, we both got the elevated egg sandwich, and then I also got a Belgian waffle. And when I after all the pictures, when I got home, my wife said I'm not allowed to eat a carb for like three or four days before we go on the road again. Okay. And I was like, all right. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it was uh, hefty, but quite good. And then that evening. Oh dear. Yeah. uh, That evening was, what is your, I had a good time. I I did too. I thought it was very good. At the beginning. Yes. And then it took a turn. We went to Bonefish, which is not necessarily, it's a, it's a chain. It's not a Knoxville only. So I don't really know if it would be eligible anyway for, uh, for a podium, but it, it was good. We had, you know, seafood dip. Uh, I had a steak uh, with uh, the bacon mac and cheese, which is really good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you got skewers. Yes, I did. I, I would like to say I've been to Bonefish many times. There's a great spot by the fields where we played. You're one of the FGCL. I would go to Bonefish for lunch all the time whenever mm-hmm. I had a break. Just I would get the Imperial dip. And it's like, what, 15 bucks? Boom, lunch. And, you know, I would also normally do it with bread. I tried it with chips, tried it with bread. You know, bread, the yeah. That's when the chips were, it was, there was a lot. A it was hefty flimsy. for chips. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I, that's why I'd switch to the bread. Good See, same bread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I normally don't get an entree when I go there. I did this time and I got the shrimp and scallop skewers. And everybody knows seafood, gray. Yes. Mm. And I love scallops yeah. and shrimp. Right. Yeah, always good. I like to say I had shrimp with my steak, so yeah. the shrimp were fine. Which is why I feel more betrayed. So <laughs> so we go back to the hotel and everything's fine. 
Now I, f I feel, I don't know. I feel, I'm, I feel like it's one in the morning, which right. it was because yes. I was cranking out stats and doing FGCL tracker. And it's like a normal, you know, Tom's asleep. Friends is on. I'm right. It's fine. And I, I feel like I'm sweating a little bit. I'm like, okay, well that's, you know, maybe Tom turned down the AC. I, I, who, who knows? knows? Yeah. Who's it's fine. Guy? I'm not going to complain. Tom's asleep. The last thing he wants to do is wake up in a freezing room. It's okay. All good. Finish up my stats. Go to bed. Wake up. A couple hours later, I look at the clock. I'm like, it's 3.45. Why am I awake? Then I realize why. Uh, my stomach is dying. And I don't know how to resuscitate it except to uh, run to the bathroom. And I guess up chuck would be the most polite way to say it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that happened a couple more times over the night. Tom, I did not wake Tom up. Tom didn't hear a damn thing. I was out. I mean, I might as well have been silently heaving. <laughs> and I wake up the next day. I'm, and I'm, I am raring to go to, to, to like lunch. I was like, yeah. we'd already discussed what we were doing for lunch. So I was like, all right. And wow. And I'm, did not look I'm good. I take a shower and I still feel weird. And so I say to Tom, like, by the way, did you hear me last night? You're like, no, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, well. And then I explain what happened. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So anyway. We're still going to lunch though, right? Oh, yes. And I was excited to go to lunch. Uh, I couldn't eat more than a third of the burger. I didn't take my pill that day. It didn't impact my performance on the air, I think. So that's an interesting experiment for later on this Good year. Good to know. And dinner was kind of a no-go until like nine o'clock. And even then it was a slow process. I can't remember the last time I didn't finish pizza. So all in all, I got food poisoning at Bonefish. Mm. And I don't blame the people at Bonefish, I blame myself. And I should have known that, you know, chill at the seafood a little bit in, mm. those, in the, some of those landlocked states. Yeah. So. Unless it came from the river. Right. Which is right. Which you know, I hope not. If it had been catfish or something. Amazing. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that is my food poisoning story. Yes. Uh, that has never happened before in the history of road trips. It's happened to me once at a fast food restaurant freshman year of college. But that sidelined me for like a couple hours. This was like essentially a full day. Wow. I, and I hate it for you because we went to Lytton's the next day. Which was so, it's, I mean, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Right. It was really good. It was our main uh, recommendation from Karen Weekly when we talked to her now two years ago on Media Days when we got the recs from everybody. It was just like she said. It was, you know, a perfect burger and fries joint. And also it's, you know, a bakery. So... Uh, both Nate and I got the the orange cake, which everyone raved about, uh, and rightfully so. I thought yeah. it was really, really good. I'm not usually a big orange cake type of guy, uh, but I ate most of it. It was it was really good. I really enjoyed it, and the burger was was outstanding. So thank you so much for the recommendation, Coach Weekly. Uh, and it was it was really good. And I, and I hate that you only got to have a little bit of it. it I was really bummed. The burger was good. I, I just couldn't eat more. And, and thank you to you and Nate for for giving me a sliver of the cake, <laughs> right. uh, which also was good. Like, that's what yeah. sucked. And I hope I get to go to Knoxville at some point soon again and go to Litton's and actually get to partake in the full experience. But yeah, I mean, what the little bit that I had was good, but I kind of let you right. let you run the, the show in yes. that regard quite good and then that evening the pizza place risotti's that we went to i was very happy with it as well yeah really solid yeah good stuff after that as a wise man once said we got out of there quickly quickly <laughs> fact, much quicker than the bus did oh yeah
Everyone's fine. Though. I don't think that's our story to tell. No. We'll let we'll let Murph say that. <laughs> talk about that at some point. Okay, so that's Tom's hungry. This has been a successful heading home segment. I think. I agree. We did yes. picks. We did off the wall. I got something off my chest that has been bothering me for about a year now. You got down off the soapbox. After yeah. That. Now we get to chill for a couple of days before we go to Columbia, Missouri. Yes. Get to do some wash and then pack again and we're on our way. Yes, no midweeks for a little bit, which is interesting. It's weird, but we've already played our last home midweek of the year. So we'll we'll have the regular pod next week. It will be the midseason boxies. We'll have the awards. We'll have all the pomp and circumstance and fake trophies to give to college athletes who don't care about what we have to say about them. And we'll have bracketology and all that. In Columbia, we might do something. We'll see. It it depends, again, on game schedule. we got two night games, Friday and Saturday, so it might be tough to do a live show. Yeah. But we could do a space, maybe from one of Larissa's recommendations, like, say, Tropical Liquors mm. or Hot Box Cookies or all the thousands of haunts that she told us about in Como. So we'll see. Stay tuned to the Twitter at OutTheBox underscore pod. All I know is with the, with the Boxy Awards, I feel God in those chilies. Mm-hmm. Keep Mac Leonard's name out your mouth, Tom. How can the people listen to us in Columbia, Missouri? If they don't already know, Tom, mm-hmm. we're getting to that part of the calendar oh, yeah. where there are multiple ways to tune into the Crimson Tide Sports Network. An added spot here this weekend. As always, if you're in Tuscaloosa listening to the radio, you can listen to us at 97.5 FM as well as nick975.com on the World Wide Web and also the MeTV975 app. And starting with Saturday's game against Missouri on April 1st, you can also hear us on the Varsity app. Not a joke. It's real. Yes. April Fool's Day is the first day on the Varsity app. Indeed. And every game moving forward after that, you'll be able to listen on the Varsity app uh, from here on out. Yeah, and I know that that is a more preferable way for some folks out there. They have We've been getting a lot of comments this year about, hey, when is on the Varsity app? When is on the Varsity app? Saturday. Yes. Until the end of the season. There we go. And yeah. of course, we'll be tweeting out all these links from our accounts. I've already mentioned at out of the box underscore pod. But Tom, I've heard that you also have a Twitter. I do. Oh, wow. T Canterbury RTR. Uh, and this is a fun week to be following me if you aren't already, because it's one of the greatest weekends of the year. It's WrestleMania weekend. That's also not a joke. No, it's, it's actually it is, right. It, what is our prank going to be? Never mind. We'll think about that off the air. Right. If you have prank suggestions, tweet them to me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Pranks for SID Extraordinary Nathan Sheehan. Maybe we can pull something on Coach Murphy. Depends on the mm, result, yeah. I think. Oh, we'll see. Maybe if you have one for me on Tom, let me know. Maybe right. it's, I don't know, a fake Peacock account. We'll see. <laughs> but you can... How angry do you want me to be? <laughs> I want Saturday. strike zone frustration. Oh my gosh. Which oh, we didn't talk we about. We didn't even talk. This show's too long. We'll save it for next week. Hopefully we don't have any more to talk about as far as I think. I don't but. know. It's we might. That's all on the Twitter, of course. Pick and again, a strike zone and go with it. I'll say that. <laughs> I concur. Thank you to Madison Shipman for joining us. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. We will see you on the road in Columbia, Missouri. We got our list of restaurants. If there are any others that you can think of, please again shoot us a DM at out of the box underscore pod. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Let's keep on rolling. Let's keep on building. Let's keep on progressing. Trust the process. Amen. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.